Hey good people, this is Sharika, EB, and Sabrina. You're listening to The Kickback. Glad you decided to pull up.
school choice for all families, especially minority communities, and um, criminal justice reform. Um, here with me, I have two more Florida representatives from Lexit, and I'll now allow them to introduce themselves. Um, I won't take too much time. Here is Jody. Hi everyone, my name is Jody Jorgensen, and um, I am a New York native, proud of it. I grew up in New York City and enjoyed the fruits of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and um, been in Florida here, Sarasota, for about 25 years. Um, I started following Candace Owens probably almost two years ago, uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, and was completely floored by her her energy, her take on Black America, and also her resilience in speaking truth for what Black America should have and more than well deserves. Um, growing up in New York, it's a you know hotbed of activity, and and uh, there was never. What, what you all are experiencing now, probably in maybe your 20s and 30s, would not have even been a furthest dream or nightmare for any of us at that time. New York was full of opportunity, love, you know, and ambition. Um, hearing Candace speak, I felt that that was her drive. That's what she wanted, not just for certain people, but for all people. And, and her focus, of course, being on the black community, I honed in on that. I, I uh, just always felt a kinship and wanted to be a part of a growing organization and something I could, as a Christian, sink my teeth into and uh, get a hold of and help wherever I could possibly uh, help. Um, I'll turn it over to T <laughs> now. And uh, that's just a brief history, but I, I'm glad you all are here, and I'm honored to be a part of this great organization, and thank everybody for um, sponsoring it and having us uh, be able to speak our side and, and our truths. Hello, everyone. My name is Tania. Everybody calls me T. Um, earlier, uh, the question was posed, um, what was your Blexit? And it's such a a compounding question because there's so much to it, right? Um, I grew up in a very democratic household. Um, I was told that's the way you go when you're African-American and um, never thought about it till 2016. And um, I actually sat on the couch with my husband and I was like, Trump is it. I'm like, this is what we need. This is the, the things that catapult us into the next like century, I was like, he's honest, he speaks his mind, he tells you like it is, and those are characteristics that I kind of have, if you can't tell. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I bonded with him from the jump, but as I was telling everybody earlier, I've always followed him throughout, uh, from the time I was like nine years old, watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I am dating myself. If you kids don't know what it is, go and look it up. It is the bomb. That was like MTV Cribs before we had MTV, right? Um, and so I've always followed him, Ivanka, everybody, and up until this point. Um, so for myself, when it was told like, okay, well, you're gonna be a Democrat, I did it, and then now here I am researching for myself, 
uh, doing things on my own, thinking for my own self, and it's a great experience. And then when the pandemic hit, I found myself in this place watching the America that I was taught to love by my parents, who were immigrants that came here um, from in the 60s from an island that they wanted to make a better way. They said, this is why we're coming here to work two and three jobs, so you kids can come here and have the American dream. And I was watching my country being ripped apart, and I was so devastated, and I looked at my husband, I was like, I have to do something. And at that time, I started following Brandon Tatum and Candace Owens, and they kept talking about Belexit. Belexit, Belexit, Belexit. I'm like, what is this Belexit? So I Googled it, and next thing I knew, I signed up, I got a call from Grace, and the rest is history. And I'm here with you today to share and to have positive discourse. This isn't about, you know, us versus them. I believe we can have a discourse and have these conversations and get everything out in the open so we all can make a knowledgeable decision when it comes on November 3rd. I like that, it ended well. <laughs> <laughs> a great little book in for tea. So there we have it. We have our Blexit side of the panel. And this is part one of the discussion. On the other side, we have who I was calling the challengers or the responders, right? So we have people who don't share the same views, but something that everyone shares in this room is the love and the belief in Jesus Christ and the passion of moving his kingdom forward. And we talked about it earlier. The way we can do that as Christians is to be responsible and mature with our right as citizens with voting. So when I talk to young professionals or young adults and they tell me who they're passionate about and then I ask them about policy and legislation and they say, well, I don't know much about that. I'm just like, wait, what? So, <laughs> you Listen, believe what you're going to believe, but be able to stand on it, as Evie always says, on all 10 toes, right? So that's what we're hoping to create through these discussions, sharing with you the policy, the legislation. If you want more information, please DM me at the kickback, DM my personal face, Facebook, my work Facebook. I'll connect you with the facts, with the resources that are being presented here today and next Saturday so that you can make a responsible choice. That's what we're asking you to do, and I believe you can do it. So you've heard from one side. We're going to get to the introductions with the other side, and then Flo's looking at me like, I didn't sign up for an introduction. Flo's kind of shy, and then we'll get into it. Now, we do have a small group today. I'm calling them the spectators, but this woman over here, nothing. I don't think she's ever been a spectator in her life with anything. I'm talking about you, Kathy. So I'm going to turn the camera around very quickly because we might hear from them today. Kathy is a passionate woman of God and we have Hannah here as well. So if at some point you hear from Kathy, don't be like, oh wait, where'd the other lady come from? She's <laughs> over there. She's spectating and she may add to the discussion to the discussion today as well. So Flo, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. We'll go down the line then we'll hop into the questions. Sabrina's assessment was accurate. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, my name is Flo Labrado. I am not involved in politics or any groups, nor am I affiliated with any political party because I don't believe in that. Um, just putting that out there. I do probably lean a little bit more liberal than conservative, but don't subscribe to a party because I think they're all trash. Um, so I am not involved in public service in any way. I am a private citizen that has a lot to say. I'm EB, and I am just here to 
listen and learn and engage in um, friendly conversation and to get more, I guess we say, more clarity on where people stand and more importantly, why they stand on those um, certain either values or beliefs um, or stances when it comes to important issues that for the most part naturally impact or influence each and every one of us. And a fellow host of the kickback. And one third of the kickback. <laughs> and I'm Sharika, another third of the kickback. And as Evie said, we're just here to be open and hear what you guys have to say, um, learn new things, as well as give our opinion and give some of our experiences and just have a great conversation. So thank you guys so much for coming yes. out today and um, you know giving us some of your time because I know you all are busy and we appreciate uh, your, your giving your stuff to us for this day. Thank, thank you. you. And as I said, they will continue to give of themselves. If you want information, hit me up. I can connect you with Grace and probably with the other two. Yeah. So now that I've met them, I know them more Absolutely. than Absolutely. So we're going to hop right into the question that I said. We have 10 questions today, and we are looking in the comments. So if you have a question, if you want more clarity or, like I said, more resources, please chime in. Join the discussion. We welcome that. Let's start. You guys ready? Ready. Excellent. Excuse question. Me, before you get to the question, I, I saw a question from a, a young woman named Judith saying, who is that young black king over there? Ma'am, he's taken. Uh, <laughs> Right to respond if that criminal with the stolen gun or 
has come to that person's house who's a law-abiding citizen. So the crime rate on every regard would increase as more restrictions on guns uh, tries to increase. Guns aren't the problem. It's the people's behavior who has the guns. That's the problem. Any adding? You want to add it to that, Ron? I know I'm just a moderator today, but if I hear something, I might just say something to kind of push the conversation or just my thought. When I hear you say that the crime rate would increase, I think about countries, is it like Norway, Australia? They don't have, they don't have any guns. And then when I compare our crime rates with theirs, ours are higher. So I think that's worth inserting into the conversation. This is coming from someone whose husband has three guns, and I love to shoot with him. Oh, look, no, it's fine. He's a law-abiding American. He's a Marine. He shoots. He is, but he don't be telling So it'll be two things that I'll say. One, to respond to what um, Sabrina alluded to is in any place, right, um, where they have restrictions, as you mentioned, it's up to the person and not necessarily the restrictions or the laws. I look at it as things that are deemed to happen will happen. Okay. Um, but in the same sense, I think of when people say we shouldn't have more restrictions, this is my first amendment, right? This is part of the, I guess you could say the grounds that we um, just naturally inherit as citizens. Um, for me, I think of, well, you need a license to get a car or to drive, um, but I can go purchase a gun without a concealed weapons permit. And for me, I wonder, why is that? Why isn't there a restriction on that? And I say that only because with those type of things, you become somewhat, it's not guaranteed, but you become somewhat aware of who is in possession of certain things. Now, does that mean that the People in the back would not be able to go buy one from a friend who either stole one from a local pawn shop or who bought one, who transported one um, from across the border, any, any of those things. That's not saying that, but at the same time, there are some steps that can be taken. Like in this state, at least, there's no mental health evaluation for a purchase to get a concealed weapons permit and or to purchase a, a firearm. So it's like those type of things that you're just like, mm, I'm not sure if this is the best route um, to go when we say either restrictions or limit. I think they should be taken into account of why some people say certain restrictions should be added to gun control laws. I have a question. So is it for every question, one person from each yeah, side answers? Oh, yeah, oh, okay, cool. Um, I just want to understand. Yeah, I think, um, actually I agree with some of what you said about um, I'm probably, this is an area where it might lean a little bit more conservatively with um, gun control. Well, I personally do believe that we need to have um, policies in place to ensure that um, the ability to very quickly murder dozens of people is restricted. 
because um, I think there's no need for that. But I think it's also important for us to keep in mind the intent of the Second Amendment, right? Um, the intent is not only just for us to protect ourselves from each other, but also to protect ourselves from government. And without getting into like the recent events, I think that we can all point to times when a citizen's ability to protect themselves from the government or agents of the government has resulted in the individual being held as a criminal when they were just exercising their right to protect themselves from the government. Amen. Okay, I think that. If I may just say a, a point on that, um, I'm Norwegian, I have family over in Norway. <laughs> um, so I do know they have guns. Oh, they do? Yeah. Okay. Um, but I will also say that the population of Norway, Sweden, those um, Nordic countries is far less than our population here in the great USA. So um, I think, you know, comparing apples to apples would be a better um, synopsis for me, uh, only because they are also uh, of a different, you know, they're homogenous in general. So. Um, we don't have the comparisons here that we have. Or their justice system is completely different. They're king and queen. They're, you know, uh, the United States has become a place where um, the Constitution is getting stomped on. You know, one little thing after the other, all the way down the line. And I, I really feel that the Second Amendment has become such a serious issue only because so many people. Uh, or, I'm sorry, so many guns have fallen into the hands of the wrong people. Right. And those people are always in the forefront, in the news, in front of us all the time. And I agree with what Grace said um, as far as uh, crime rate going up. And I think in most of those cases, if you look at it, those were not um, people that even went through the process of getting a gun legally, okay? And that's the percentage difference that, uh, another percentage difference that I was talking about, that it's been said that they did not have, they did, they did not, forget like the concealed carry permit because not every state even has that, mm -hmm. but just gone through the fact where, you know, when you, when I went to go purchase a gun, you know, I mean, you, are federally your chart you you are investigated yes. through a federal mm -hmm. process yes. Wow. Yes. okay yeah so um it's not just you know a background check like you do for someone you're going to hire it's a federal process yes. Yes. um and if there's something in there other than you know having a, a, a mental disability um they're going to find it and you're not going to get a gun mm -hmm. Um, that's been my experience. Yes. And so, as I said, I think a lot of the guns that are out on the street now are illegally gotten and have been smuggled or have been, you know, gotten wherever and brought into the country. So, I just like to look at that end of it because the people that I do know, know that I do know, belong to gun clubs. They, mm -hmm. they, and they take, like you and your husband, take responsibility for mm -hmm. owning a, a, a deadly weapon. So. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I don't think I need a mic, but. Um, so I just want to touch on something that's kind of near and dear to my heart um, is mental health. So um, my husband's a mental health practitioner. Um, I used to be a substance abuse counselor. And the biggest thing that I noticed in a lot of these mass shootings is that the person was mentally unstable and not um, did not have his meds, his or her meds. They did not have um, the care that they needed and they stole a gun from a family member to commit a series of shootings. Parkland, Columbine, um, the military-based shootings, these are all men and women who are unstable, that had a history of mental health, that unfortunately in America, we do not force meds. 
I won't get into that debate, but we have people here who are struggling with a mental health issue and then they don't know where to turn or their mind tells them to harm self or others and they go out and they grab the nearest gun. And as a family members, when you're speaking to family members, you will never want to think someone in your life is that ill where they would take a gun and hurt somebody else. And unfortunately, they, they don't think to lock it up or put it somewhere safe or really you know, hide that combination and that person turns to that and then we have these issues. So I just wanted to touch on mental health as a big component in a lot of these shootings. I mean, I, I was just gonna say that I believe that anybody who is going to take people's lives has a mental health <laughs> issue. Like that's, that, that type of person, you know, if you're out, you know, willing to harm people in that manner, you have a mental health issue. Um, yet and still it is a crime and people's lives are taken, you know, and that has to be, you know, handled as well. Um, and, and I will say about myself, I would, I, I kind of uh, would kind of lean in the way of flow, like I vote a certain way, but I don't subscribe to any specific party and say this is, because I don't agree fully with either party. There's things that I can agree with on one side and then things I agree with on the other side. And in regards to this issue, I will keep belaboring the issues. But I will say, you know, a lot of the things that are, you know, we I think we definitely need to do our due diligence to have restrictions and things in place to do the best that we can. But we unfortunately, we know that people are going to do whatever people are going to do. And um, unfortunately, um, but I think we still have a responsibility to set things up as best as we possibly can with the restrictions, with the checks as, as much as we can. But unfortunately, the bad part about these situations is that it's not the lawful people that are causing the issues. Because, you know, and so I will agree. That's why I want to say I do agree with that part of what you said. And I'll close out with this. When we say that, um, that it's not the lawful people, just being in a, cause I can't speak for the other 49 states and US territories, but there have been countless people um, just recently in my hometown of Polk County in Winter Haven um, or in Polk County, where some people who are concealed weapons permit carrying individuals who have their own perceptions of what it means to stand your ground. Mm -hmm. um, and we just saw a person who went to jail and they'll be waiting trial and all of those things. Also, one of the things to just to allude to the mental health thing, one of the things that sometimes frustrates me as an individual is that we'll talk about, and this is a whole other conversation, so I won't go too far in it, but when some of these conversations happen with mental health or with certain people, it seems to be a specific narrative for a person of a specific background, um, where I'm pretty sure if an evaluation were done to a lot of other people who may only kill one person or is who part of some type of group or is in the area of Chicago, because they always come up, they probably will have similar instances where they're like, oh, this person has mental health issues, but the charges for that person will like will be slanted in a way against yeah. him. Um, and those type of things should be just taken into account. And that's why I said everyone who does that mm -hmm. has a mental health. It's not just right. certain people of a certain race or certain, that they only have the mental health and these other ones are just criminal. I feel like if you're doing this, every, you know, that's not a mentally healthy person isn't out to take the lives of other people, right? All right, our second question. Nearly two thirds of Americans support 
restricting abortion after the first three months of pregnancy. But many find challenges with restrictions before or even after then. What policies have impacted the U.S. positively or negatively in the debate about abortion? I'll speak first on that again. Um, as a Christian, I cannot possibly validate abortion uh, on any level. Um, it's my personal belief. Uh, as far as policies are concerned, um, I feel that Roe versus Wade, and you know, which is what everybody talks about primarily. Um, if you really research Roe versus Wade, that, that whole situation was hijacked by a couple of lawyers. Uh, the woman, Roe, uh, actually ended up having her third child and giving it up for adoption. So it wasn't even a matter that she was in desperate need of some sort to have an abortion for um, any specific causes. I know we get into situations where we're talking about rape and incest and the health of a mother. Um, those are all things to be considered. And um, from my standpoint, if it was I and I was raped or it was incest, I would have to carry the child to term and give it up for adoption or at that time perhaps keep it. But as far as uh, policies are concerned, I think it's become more of a political, you know, volleyball for people to toss around and not really think of an unborn child, um, which I believe happens at conception. And I do feel that a woman's choice ends at the fact that she decided to have unprotected sex with her partner. Um, that is the choice you made. And if you are going to go forward with that, then so be it. That's your, that is your choice. But it is not your choice from a Christian standpoint or certainly from you know, a humane standpoint to end the life of a child because you made a bad choice. So with that, I'll pass it over. Um, so on September 24th, just this week, uh, Trump, President Trump signed an executive order. It was basically to sustain and to take care of every child born, especially those who have survived an abortion. Um, so he, he has done that. Not only has he signed a law, an executive order, to sustain the lives of those who have been aborted, who survive, but he's also making sure they receive the natal, the neonatal care they need as well to survive. That helps the U.S. The question was, what policies impacted the U.S. positively or negatively in the debate about abortion? That's a positive impact for the U.S. recently signed. As believers, as we, as we said before, we're here saying on the, on the precepts of Christ, on the precepts of God, God is the giver of all life. The devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, not Jesus, not God Almighty. So um, I have a couple of comments in response. Um, I um, personally, I do not uh, subscribe to the belief that as a Christian, I expect certain things from other people because um, there's still so much room for interpretation. I believe when we get to heaven, many of us are gonna find like, whoa, I read that totally differently than it was meant to be. Um, I personally am 98% sure I do not want to have children. I should not be responsible for children. Um, 
That said, I also don't see how I can make the choice for someone else. Um, well, I agree that when someone has made a choice to have unprotected sex, both adults need to figure out the right way for them to take responsibility. What I don't subscribe to is a belief that someone who has a child in that situation, whether within or outside of marriage, that it was necessarily their choice. So I'm gonna be very careful with that. Um, speak, speaking to policies, um, yeah, I, that's one of the few things that I agree with um, by, done by President Trump. Um, however, and this is not specific to President Trump because he is like a nanosecond in the history of humanity. But when we look at the policies that have happened that have been changed in recent years, there have been many policies actually going back to 30 years that have resulted in the overdependence in um, what we may call uh, social welfare, right? That doesn't necessarily benefit brown and black people. On the flip side, the removal of many of those benefits also make it harder for someone who is pregnant to make the choice to keep their child and raise their child. And yes, adoption is an option. Adoption is common in my family. We bless it, we welcome it. Um, whether uh, legal or not legal adoption, my family, probably a third of the people I'm related to, I'm Dominican. We're cousins, we're not even sure how. But <laughs> that said, that said, when we um, uh, have policies that make it difficult for someone to make the choice to raise their child, to keep their child, and to move forward, <clears throat> it is in a way inadvertently contributing to the decision to terminate a pregnancy. Yes, adoption is an option, but I cannot make that decision for someone else. It is very hard for me to do that. Well, I personally would not necessarily, I don't think that I would terminate a pregnancy. I've never been in that position, so I don't know what it's like. I've never been pregnant by choice or not by choice. I don't know what it's like. I have the choice to um, use birth control, and there are people who think that I'm a terrible Christian for using birth control. So I think that when it comes to the delineation of um, the stance on abortion, or forget abortion, even birth control based on faith, I think that's on squishy ground. You mentioned something about uh, the welfare and the ladies on the welfare, the people on welfare. Right, can you go back to that? Sure. So, and when I say welfare, I don't necessarily mean welfare um, specific to like, you know, when we think of welfare, we think of like food stamps and housing mm -hmm. assistance, right? Mm -hmm. I think that many of those policies have unfortunately caused harm when they were not intended to cause harm. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe that there, there have been instances of people who have depended. I also believe mm -hmm. that it has been used very well by people to overcome a challenge in a particular season of their life mm -hmm. and move on. Mm -hmm. I've had that experience, not personally, but in my family. Mm -hmm. However, the removal of some of those benefits can also result in people having a tougher choice to raise the child themselves. How? Because I'm in a situation where my income gap results in um, not having enough money for me to uh, to have, uh, excuse me, not having not having the kind of work where I can have private healthcare, for example, not having enough income to pay my rent, to pay for bills, to pay for potentially childcare if need be, if it's in the case of a single father or mother, um, I may feel like I have more odds stacked against me and may be more inclined to figure out a solution to not parent this child. And of course, like it or not, one of the solutions available is to terminate a pregnancy. Many parents, I get, where you, I get what you're saying. The reason I actually have is because many parents, when, when they are no longer depending on food stamps or government assistance, that actually becomes a muscle for them. 
that actually becomes encouragement for them to actually either get a certificate, go back to school. They, they actually build themselves up from that point when something is taken away from them. If they spend their lives depending, 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 they're not gonna, they're not gonna achieve their dreams, they're not gonna go forward, they're not gonna begin to build, due to, to build generational wealth. So I get what you're saying that, so what you're saying is that whenever those benefits are taken away from the community from a young lady, it could make her think, oh, I don't want to take care of my child anymore. Oh, I can't take care of my child anymore because I'm no longer receiving government assistance. Mm -hmm. No, no. Okay. Before the child was born, mm -hmm. if, say someone is, let's call her Casey. Mm -hmm. Casey is 20 years old, mm -hmm. lives on her own, mm -hmm. works a couple of jobs to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. Maybe is or is not in college. Mm -hmm. Makes enough money to barely pay, pay rent, mm -hmm buy groceries, pay bills. Casey becomes unexpectedly pregnant. Because she has, she has sex unprotected. Doesn't matter, the reason, doesn't matter the reason why. Okay. The point is that it has happened. Okay. Doesn't matter why. Mm -hmm. It could have been raped. It could have been she and she had sex. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The point is that we're in the situation now because saying, oh, well, you shouldn't have had sex outside of marriage or whatever. No, but you that, have to give, say, what I'm saying is you have to give some kind of self-accountability. If you end up, if you end up pregnant, First and foremost, you lay down. You hopefully you're responsible to have sex. Okay, so if you're going to have sex, there's some, you, we have to we have to get accountability for our own actions. If Casey winds up pregnant at age 20 years old, her own, she needs to make a decision. And she says, "I'm going to have this child. I'm going to have this child. Okay, what am I going to do to make the the life of my child in mind, our our quality of life increase?" Oh, aborted that when you abort the child because oh, I, I don't have any money, I'm gonna struggle. Wait a minute, Casey. Now I get Richard saying you're gonna be in struggle, but now you're gonna have someone else suffer. Now you're gonna say now you're gonna shed innocent blood for your irresponsibility when you lay down. Now someone else is suffering. Because you But I agree. But going back to Casey's scenario, so she's twenty years old, doesn't matter how she ended up in this situation, she's in a situation she has choices to make. Mm -hmm. There are three choices raise a child, adoption, or terminate the pregnancy. I think those are the three choices, right? I believe that if in case of situation she could barely make ends meet right now, if she had an option to close the financial gap temporarily to enable her to, hey, you know what, maybe I want to keep this child, it could end up being the right outcome. And ideally, this, uh, what I call a stopgap, is temporary. And I understand that there are people who use this, what's meant to be temporary as a long-term solution. But I'm talking about in the case of Casey, having the ability to kind of close the gap temporarily so that she can make the right choices to get on her feet and begin to build generational wealth can be transformational. Again, not passing judgment, the baby. not, no, it's my whole point is that it gives her the option. It not makes it easier to have the option to not terminate the pregnancy. She, Casey may be like, maybe not even care. Casey may decide to terminate the pregnancy. Anyway, Casey may say, you know what? I make $200,000 a year and I'm 20 and I still don't want to have this baby. That's a whole other situation. I'm talking about in this use case with this person, the access to some of our welfare programs could help her close the gap. True. and keep this child and raise this child and begin to build generational wealth not passing judgment and again there are people who i personally know people who've had multiple pregnancies terminated not because they couldn't raise a child because they just didn't want to mm -hmm. and i may have personal feelings about that but the question was about policies that support or don't support and that's where i'm coming from and i just wanted to bring up you know we talk about abortion and, and what about Planned Parenthood 
And there are other um, items and services in there that we don't use, that you know the black and the brown community don't use as much as the abortion. And why is that? What is being presented to us to use that more over contraception? You know what I mean? The responsibility is in our hands. You know, we have a secular worldview, I feel, of abortion, and then we have the Christian worldview. And my mother said, um, I think it's Jeremiah 1.5, and it's on here on my notes. It said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew who you were. We were destined. We have a soul once we are created. God pointed us to do something great, but we, we so many times... We're, we're aborting these babies that are supposed to be led to greatness and they don't have that chance because the, the responsibility and the accountability is not there. That is one view. And then we have the other view to say, okay, well, I'm in the world, I'm, I'm out there, I'm having fun. Then take the responsibility, use what's in the Planned Parenthood to do things. There's other forms of contraception, but the life starts there. It starts at creation. It's not when you hear a heartbeat. It's not when you hear the first movement. It starts that night. And that is where it starts. And I think we need to, um, you know, I was talking about this with, uh, I think, Grace the other night. We were talking about, you know, when I when I was growing up, church was, they stood the ground of this is what's wrong and this is what's right. You knew when you were going to the church house, you knew where you stood on abortion, gay marriage, everything. Now we tend to want to take that secular view and we need to stand up for what is right and what is in the Bible. We can't be Christians on, oh, well, this is okay. No, we got to stand up on that Bible because that is our foundation. Yeah, see, I would say I definitely agree with you. Um, as a believer, a person, like Sabrina had alluded to at the beginning, um, that a person should stand 10 toes down. One of my, I guess, at times challenges or things that makes me just shake my head at times is that there's leaders um, on both sides who have their views on abortion. Um, at least for me, my my interpretation has been seeing that everyone who's on the left is, um, in a sense, pro-choice and everybody who's on the right is pro-life, but that's not the case. Um, from You have some governors, um, and I can, we can go down the list of names, but some say after six weeks, then they ban abortion at that. Some say eight, some say 12. So. For me, that's on the right and the left. Others say 24, um, which is crazy, and, but that's on them. But so for me, it one, one of those things that I don't think this is a right or left issue. This is what we talked about earlier, a person making a choice. So sometimes the narrative is, if you're a liberal, then you're for abortion. Why are you letting this happen? And it's just like, no, don't put me in the box with all those other people, because I could easily look at Missouri and say Republican Governor Mike Parson signed a law on May 24th banning abortion after eight weeks of pregnancy. The law makes no exceptions for rape or incest. So for me, it's just like, what happens for the first seven weeks? Is that not a child? Mm -hmm. Just just curious. We, and had, it, we had Kamala Harris at what, nine months? Nine months? Yeah, no, so like for me, so it's one of those things, it's, it's for me, it's like we can't have this mindset that one side is for it and one side is against. Right. It comes down to that individual. The other thing I say with any situation, whether it be this, whether it be the one we just talked about is gun control, that person will figure it out for themselves. I will pray for that person with the decision that they make. And I pray that God continues to guide them and lead them in the right direction that he desires for them in their life. And if they make one that opposes him, the good thing is 
They don't answer to any of us. Right. And they don't answer to a political party. They will stand before him, yes, the God of justice and grace and mercy and love. And I, and I, I mean, I agree with a lot that was said today. And, and um, I just wanted to harken back to the uh, point that was saying, well, this person made a choice. And then now the person also had another choice that they can make as well. And so it's, it's interesting to me as just saying, well, you, you made the choice to have sex, may or may not, but in case you did, you made the choice to have sex, but now you don't have any other choices after that. That's what it seems like to me. So I just was wondering, and I, I'm taking myself, my personal views, I'm just saying if I was from the outside looking in and someone said, well, you made the choice to have sex, but now you don't have a choice what to do, you have to now follow through, or we're gonna take away that choice. What would you say to like to that thought? I think um, obviously I was the one who made the statement in the beginning, so I'll kind of just justify how I how I meant it, okay? Because we call it a pro-choice issue, mm -hmm. right? Um, in my opinion, again, it's mm -hmm. my opinion; yeah. it's not a policy. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I'm saying that as a Christian, I feel that you make a choice mm -hmm. to have unprotected. I'm saying in the instance that you have unprotected right. sex, when we have in 2020, every option pretty much available right. now as women to mm -hmm. protect ourselves. If we have a near, you know, a, a partner who chooses not to, or maybe you have a partner that chooses to as well, mm -hmm. and that's great. But a lot of, you know, that's another whole issue. But anyway, um, <laughs> I think what I was saying is that if it's a pro-choice issue in my mind, mm -hmm. okay, the choice was made at that time mm -hmm. okay but, but 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 i'm not saying mm -hmm. you know if if i'm not saying you don't have choices you mm -hmm. do have choices and that's what roe versus wade is right. all about it's the choice mm -hmm. but as a christian we made a choice and you could be married and have unprotected right. sex right. we know that right. so <laughs> go ahead can i say something <laughs> No, she just said, hey, she amen to you. Oh, no, she amen to you. Yeah, come on up, Kathy. I told you guys, Kathy couldn't stay away. Yes. I think if it's important now also to look at policy. And um, we've got, okay, so we've been talking as Christians. Is that the right thing to do? Right. I think it's extremely important as Christians that what any one of us thinks about it doesn't matter at all exactly right. it only matters what god thinks about it and clearly clearly this is one thing in the bible that is clear and no one would argue that in the bible the taking of innocent life god detests he finds it detestable so that one is clear as christians so there's no option for us as christians we also don't make other moral decisions based on how our life is going at the time Okay, so uh, I have a two-year-old and I lose my job. Do I have the right to kill the two-year-old because I lost my job? No, we don't make that decision. So we cannot make that decision for the child that's in the womb. That's what I feel as a Christian. But let's talk about policy. What we've got now under the Trump administration is we had under the, the previous administration taking of taxpayer money to pay for abortion, particularly in other countries. And as Christians, that is not something that we want to do. I think there's the name of that, the Mexico City Law. Yeah, Mexico City Law. Okay, the Mexico City Law. 
so that's not something we want to do. We also don't want our money as Christians to go to organizations like Planned Parenthood that do kill babies. I think, Grace, you have information about how many uh, black babies were aborted in New York City in 2019. It was just as many that were born. Now, there's the genocide of the American black community. It's, a, there, it's occurring within the black community, and it's occurring at the behest and the encouragement of organizations like Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood should be the, as believers, that's, our, that's who we're, we're going against as believers, okay? It's because of their policies. Um, you have a quote, I think, from Margaret, Margaret Sanger um, about what the goal of Planned Parenthood was from the very beginning. What was that goal? In short, and really short, we don't want the word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population and the ministers and man who, is, who can straighten that out, straighten out that idea. If it ever occurs to any of their more re rebellious members in her autobiography, her autobiography, she proudly recounts her address to the women of the Ku Klux Klan in Silver Lake, New Jersey in 1926. So, so what she was saying is Planned Parenthood formed by Margaret Sanger was planned as a eugenicist. She wanted to get rid of the undesirable races. And she said, the way I was going to do it is she said, let's, let's do it through the pastors because people will listen to their pastors. That's what that quote was. And they will listen to their pastors. Also, most Planned Parenthood facilities are in minority communities, okay? So more minorities are going to be aborted because now you're within walking distance of a Planned Parenthood. That is not what minority communities should be doing to their babies, and I think we can all agree with that, all right? That's where the genocide of this minority community is happening there. You can look at the numbers. Now, everyone says Planned Parenthood does other services. Okay, they do absolutely no mammograms, zero. You can look that up, okay? They do uh, some other things. It's less than 3% of what they do. What they do is abort, and what they mostly abort is black babies. How many black babies do we have? 20 million. 20 over 20 million and counting. So what we're dealing with is, let's look at policies that either support of the aborting of black babies or don't support it. And um, the Trump administration has been trying to get money away from Planned Parenthood. That has been easier said than done. But that's one thing that the Republican platform clearly says in its 2020 platform does not want to support giving money to organizations like Planned Parenthood, does not want to support giving money internationally to abortion organizations. And I think as believers, we can agree that that's not where we want to spend our money. And at the same time say, let's build up those support systems for those women so they don't get into those, or those types of situations where they feel that they have to do it. But let's also remember that moral choices never ever depend on what our situations are at the time. We don't think that in any other way. We don't think it's okay for people to kill a two-year-old, even if we say, oh, I would never do it. I don't want to make that choice for a two-year-old. Yes, we do want to make that choice. So I think we can make that choice for baby in the womb. Thank you. Thank you. I told you guys she wasn't going to stay away. We, uh, we have the rebuttal that's going to come from this side, but I do want to share two things 
just personally, I am from a lower income neighborhood, right? I'm from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, the ninth most impoverished city in the nation. Woo! I never heard of Planned Parenthood until I was an adult. So when you guys were saying, when you said they're mainly in minority neighborhoods, and this side was like, yeah, I was like, really? No, I was trying to whisper. Something else. Oh, yes. Oh. Oh. I was like, I was like, what? Like, 
those quotes, I just dismiss but, them unless I can verbally hear them from that person. There's video. But, 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 but it said the church or the pastors. And then think, so think about the church and the pastors then. Like, no, they, so, and, and we don't look at church and pastors like that now or assume that, assume that on them now because like, it's like, no, it's, other people who live right. You know, church was segregated. Like, like Flo was saying, things have come a long way. And I'm not here to defend Planned Parenthood or whatever, but I, what I, my own comments that I wanted to say is that a lot of, you know, as a Christian, as a Christian, um, you know, I, I definitely will say I am a Christian, but a lot of people are not Christian. And I don't think the, this is where we make the change. We make the change by by leading people to Christ. Not because I don't because while we're making the you know, we're saying as Christians we do this, but there's a lot of people that are not Christian and they're not making and they're making these choices. And I'm not and maybe even people who call themselves Christian or feel that they are Christians make these choices. But I think this is not I don't think the law is, is what makes the people make those choices or not. I don't think it being legal or illegal because when it was illegal, people were still doing it. I think what is important, I believe, is is the people and the people on people interaction and providing support. That's one thing I really did appreciate that Kathy did say is like supporting people and not so the person gets pregnant and they can't, what about, if before they can get to adoption, they have how many doctor's appointments that they have to get through? Before they can even, if they, if they kept the, if they decided to keep the child, how many uh, doctor's appointments? And, and I understand. So it seems, I guess what I was originally saying before we went back and forth is like, it seems as though once you make this bad choice, quote unquote, could be good, could be bad, but if you're like this, I made a bad decision and now I don't want to take the consequences of this bad decision, I'm gonna terminate the pregnancy, we're saying, you know what, you made this bad decision, suck it up, deal with it. But then we're not doing anything to help them suck it up and deal with it, because that, that's their decision. Until they decide we want to abort. Now, all of a sudden, I'm jumping back in to say, you can't do, do that. I, so my thing is, where is our personal responsibility as Christians to walk alongside people, to come and help people, lead yeah. people to Christ? Right. I never, I never, that. That. never disagreed with that. For me, mm-hmm. I see all the billboards saying, you know, are you pregnant? Are you concerned? Are you confused? There's always, there's help. Mm-hmm. There's, there's help. No, it, it isn't. Oh, okay. She's saying that there's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's ready yeah. to help, that, help the young lady take care of her child besides, besides the board. So they, they exist. And that's what I'm saying, and that's why I, I don't. I'm not saying that they don't exist. And just like she was saying, Planned Parenthood does more than just abortions. Like I think there are these options, and there are a lot of things out there that people are only when you're have your agenda, you're only focused on the negative or what proves what you are trying to convey. Is what I was trying to say. Okay, we're gonna move to our third questions, but remember. Young professionals, take all this to heart. Do your research, pray, and vote responsibly. Question number three. There are criticisms that the party that is the most pro-life is also the party that is the biggest advocate of capital punishment or the death penalty. For example, the Biden campaign is pro-choice and against the death penalty, 
in President Trump's administration is pro-life and pro-death penalty. Those who support the use of capital punishment believe the government has a right, while those who oppose argue that the government should not be vested with the authority to determine who lives or dies. Does a contradiction exist here? For me, it used to. It used to. I used to feel like, oh, you know, I'm all pro-life. But the death penalty, I don't feel like I as a person, I as a leader, if I was a judge or if I was part of a grand jury, I don't feel like I would, I would want to be a part of any execution of a human life. Mm -hmm. And that, I, I kind of had some um, contradictions until one day happened. And I began to think about why is, like, why is, like, why, why is the death penalty even a thing in America? Like, why is that so? And uh, maybe a few scriptures I'm gonna share with you all. Um, there's there's plenty of them, but I'll just share I'll just share I'll share one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. The first one I'll share with you is Genesis 9 6. It says if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. And I'll read to you the New Testament. This is Acts 25, verse 8 to verse 8 to 11. Paul said, I am standing in the emperor's court where I must be tried. I haven't done anything wrong to the Jews. As you know very well, if I am guilty and have done have done something wrong for which I deserve the death penalty, I don't reject the idea of dying. But if their accusation, accusations are untrue, no one can hand me over to them as a favor. I appeal my case to the emperor. So I think it's like the death penalty. It sounds horrible, of course, because we're humans. We don't want to see anybody. We, we don't want to see anyone uh, be put to death. You know, so we say. So of course, it sounds uncomfortable to hear the death penalty, but I see I see the reason for it. First and foremost, it's biblical. And there's a price to pay with any consequence. You reap what you sow. If you're out there taking innocent life, for whatever reason, by biblical law and by the law of the land, your life also should be taken. And again, again, I know it sounds like, uh, it sounds really gruesome, it sounds like, oh, you can't be a believer taking someone's life, but really, if that person continues to co commit crime after crime, or if you, you know, don't put it to an end some kind of way, it's going to send a message to other citizens that this crime is okay. Crime murder. Murder. That murder is okay. Yeah. That murder that is okay. So it's almost like, yeah, thank you. But it's almost like you're giving the okay. And it's like, yeah, you can serve time, you can serve life in prison, but ultimately, a price needs to be paid. And according to the law of the land and the laws of the laws of the of the Bible, if you're taking human life, your own life should also take it away. And I thought about, oh man, well, what if what if that person had a second chance of life and they receive forgiveness, the family forgave the person, and it was just all okay? No, doesn't matter. There's a price to be paid. The person can receive Jesus Christ, be forgiven everything, but still, for the laws of America and for any country that, ex that exercises exercises the death penalty, that that price would have to be paid. It sounds so bad, but it's like I, I get the logistics of it. So of course, I'm all pro life. I'm all pro life. If it came down to if I was ever part of a grand jury, if I was ever in the Supreme Court, and the death penalty was an option and it was presented for that person that that murder committed. The death penalty. If it was, if it was, if it makes sense, 
the death penalty when it comes to our shoes. That's because this is law and land, but also my God says this, my God says as well. Again, can it be forgiven? Sure. Can it receive forgiveness from the family? Sure. But ultimately, a price has to be paid. Because if it doesn't, I'm telling you, it's going to send a message to other citizens that this is okay to happen in our country. My boss always says, Jesus paid it all. It's okay. <laughs> For me, I disagree that a person can be um, pro-life and, in a sense, pro-life in the sense, because I know you people like to take sound bites, um, where you can say abortion is wrong, but euthanasia via death penalty is okay. I just don't understand if the case is keeping a person alive. Now, when you say that that's biblical with the scripture that you read, it's one of those things that, like, sometimes you just have to think of context because I could easily just say, Matthew 5.30, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Like, are people doing that? No. Are you as a believer doing that? Probably not. I'm pretty sure everybody in this room has stumbled before, and they still have both arms with them. So let's not, I guess, tagline a scripture here and there to, again, we talked about a quote earlier, to prove a point. Um, I'm not sure what Jesus would do in today's case for some of what we see on the death penalty. The other, and I say I don't know, because what we see as well is because there has been countless people on death row who have been exonerated. So the jury and the court system has failed people. So there have likely been people put to death who have not deserved it. So it's one of those things that when we say, oh no, that should happen because this is the sentence that they got. It's like, let's be very, very cautious to one, make sure that this person actually committed this crime. And then I would say that certain individuals, if not all, should just be in prison for whatever their sentence is or whatever that law deems. Mm -hmm. um, all, the other thing is when you say like, oh, this person committed a crime, one of the things that frustrates me is the inconsistency. Again, like one person can kill somebody and get put on death row. Another person, like we've seen in the last six, seven months a little more frequently because of video evidence, can kill a person and they can walk home and go to their family that night. So it's just like, where are these laws? Where is this thin line? Where, how, how do I, as a believer, try to figure these out or navigate these little portions of scripture that say, you have a chance to make an appeal, but it's not a guarantee for you. But that's, that's just me. Okay, if I may just put it, I'll keep my personal um, feelings out of it, and um, I'll just let you know that constitution, constitutionally, the Fifth Amendment does clearly state that the death penalty is firmly settled by its explicit mention in the Fifth Amendment. So, again, I'll keep my personal opinions out of it and just say that if we are to follow the United States of America Constitution, then the states should individually have the right to make that decision based on the Fifth Amendment. Keeping, if you want to keep scripture out of it, if you want to keep that, it, you know, the Fifth Amendment outlaws double jeopardy. It uh, has the right against self-incrimination. Uh, you know, everybody's pleading the Fifth. You know, substantive due process, uh, eminent domain clause, yada, yada and a grand jury assembly to determine probable cause, okay? And then a, an indictment. So yes, does our, does our system always work? You know, no. Um, those because it's humans making those decisions. But constitutionally, okay? 
it's in there that says the state has the right to do that. So if we were to follow the Constitution, it's there. And like I said, I'll leave the personal stuff aside. <laughs> oh, okay. no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I, um, you know, the Constitution does, the whole point of this experiment of the United States of America, the whole point of this experiment was to have a mashup of states that are going to share a federal army and share a basic understanding, but allow the states to rule how to govern themselves however they want to. That's the whole point, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I completely agree that according to the Constitution mm -hmm. of the United States, yes, the states have the right to figure out how they want to, if they want to, um, use um, uh, capital punishment as a uh, part of their criminal justice system. A couple of things that I want to um, comment on that, even though I agree with the way that it's written in the Constitution, I a few a few comments. Uh, one, this is under the assumption that uh, crime is administered consistently, and uh, excuse me, that justice is administered cons consistently, and it's not. And we know that since the 1990s, with the uh, creation uh, and the wide adoption of uh, minimal minimum terms, minimum prison terms and um, three strikes and you're out. And this is where me and the Democratic Party don't agree. I know y'all love Hillary, but Hillary created this. That's right. That said, that said, that said. That's right. That said, when we have one in three black men at some point yep. seeing, seeing, finding themselves in jail or prison in some yep. shape or form, compared to only one in 17 white men, yep. and we see that only a third of Americans mm -hmm even take, are able to take advantage of the way the system was intended to be because of these uh, minimum sentences and um, because of profiling, because of the bias of our criminal justice system that was created, police were created to police black and brown people. When we look at all those things that already tell us that make things unfair, that results in an outcome that the police officer, whether he chose it to be this way or not, he is in a position to be the police, the judge, and a lot of times the executioner, because he's choosing or she is choosing the charges and the district attorney is blessing those charges. And because the way the system is stacked so that going to a jury is risky and could result in you, you losing your life. There are many people who are forced into a position and let's not even forget into how crazy bail is for people. We have people who are having to choose to plead guilty to things that they didn't necessarily do because going through the system, going through due process, and because it is financially inaccessible for them to exercise all of their rights could result in more and more people being executed when they shouldn't be. Now, there are some crimes that I see somebody I'm like, mm, you should fry for that. But I also understand that as this beautiful experiment was intended to be, is not exactly how it always plays out. Um, I just want to go back to um, the, so when we look at sentencing, um, I used to be an assessor in the courtroom for mental health substance abuse and I got very, I used to have the same feeling, oh my God, like I live in East, I work in East Tampa and you know, no, none of the black or brown people are getting a shot at anything. And then I got in there and I started to see how it worked. And I started to realize that our black and brown people were choosing time because they had a stigma against getting help that they needed to put themselves in a better position.
the thing is, is that also too, when you talk about somebody that has multiple points, so we rack up points. It's like it's like a free felony credit card, right? You go before the judge. Oh, you did a B and E. That's two points. You uh, did aggravated assault. That's another ten points. And before you know it, you're probably above the forty-five or fifty points. So you're going to jail for twenty-five years or prison for twenty-five years. We need to understand and put things in context when we talk about people getting disproportionately put in prison over another. Yes, I completely agree with you. We have the 94 crime bill that totally put black and brown in jail disproportionately to anybody else. And that's the problem. However, when we do go before the judge, we are, we do tend to take the deals and the things laid out on the table because we have overworked public defenders who are trying to just get people through the system. And then we also consent to that because like you said, there's a money issue. However, we still have to have accountability in the choices that we're making. You know what I mean? I know plenty of people have changed their life and have come to the other side of this. You know, that's one piece of the discussion. Number two, intentions with going back to um, the uh, death penalty. You know, there are things called manslaughter. There are things called uh, first degree, second degree, third degree murder. What are your intentions? You know what I mean? That is a huge part of murder. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we have seen where we're saying, oh, people are just walking into their families. However, these people are there to enforce the law. And when we, as blacks and browns, pick up a gun to shoot at somebody and expect that there will be no recourse, we have to have accountability in ourselves to go, what am I doing? Let me tell you something. This life you see that I have now, I have a personal testimony. I was not always this way. And when I was doing foolish things, guess who was right behind me? The police. Yeah, but when I don't do foolish things, they're not there anymore. And I'm, I'm gonna say this because so many times we get heated and emotional, but we have to look at the facts of things. And I really need for everybody to go out there and do their research on what has been going on in the last six months because I am, I'm tired of talking about this. I need people to get the facts so we can have earnest discussions about what's going on behind this. And I will leave it at that. And thirdly, I have visited Old Sparky in Tallahassee, I've toured the Florida State Prison. I have seen death row. I have seen the inmates. I have heard of their charges and they are sitting there. So when we say capital punishment, I know for the state of Florida, some people have been on there for 30 years. We do not automatically execute. You have, after you are sentenced to death, my personal belief, therefore you need to die. But they have changed that with the appeal process. So some people have 15 to 30 years to appeal that process. So I just want to throw that out there. This is not a linear conversation. We go back to go forward. We, we go all over the place in the judicial system, but it starts with personal accountability. And I think I'll leave it at that. I just wanted to say, um, you mentioned looking at the facts and when Evie was saying, you know, some people go home, not all those people are law enforcement. The people, let's look at the facts of Ahmaud Aubrey. They were not on duty cops that killed that man, you know, and he, they went home. You know, so it's not just, uh, you know, and where was the justice for that until how many months later, until how many people had to demand that, sign petitions and all that kind of stuff. So it's not just like, and I'm, I am not the type of person that said, 
um, you know, black and brown. I do not believe that black and brown people should be scot-free for whatever they do. They, they commit a crime. No, but I feel like if anybody commits a crime, the energy needs to be kept the same. The justice needs to be yes. the same for all. Yes. Not So I don't subscribe to the thought of that black and brown people feel as though we should be exonerated for the crimes that we commit. But I do believe that there are people that are exonerated and for the crimes that are not held accountable for the crimes that they commit. And that, I think, is the problem in regards to that part of what you were saying. And the only part I will go back to, the original thing about the death penalty, I don't understand. Like, I definitely feel like people be, can be in jail, held accountable, you know, what are all the, all the things. Like, but I don't see, it's, it is confusing to me. And I appreciate how you did, you know, justify to you how to rationalize uh, when you read the scriptures and how you came to the conclusion that you came. I, I will just say for myself, it is so hard to say we can kill the, we, it. We shouldn't kill a baby, but it's okay to kill a criminal because um, I believe, you know, I just feel like there is, just like someone mentioned, you know, the woman that was caught in adultery and that was meant to be killed, God gave grace and forgiveness. And I know we're not God. But I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not scribing to the Lord. I, trust me. I, not, I, I ain't Jesus, and I'm not God. But I will say, I, I do see that as an example of someone who did break the law and who, quote unquote, was to be put to death, and there wasn't another option for them. I'll close. Oh, I'll say I'll close. I'm dying. I'm dying. I told you. Yeah, so one of the things that is often mentioned, especially has been mentioned in the past year or so, is the 94 um, crime bill. And one of the things that, or a few things from that crime bill that people tend to not talk about um, is the, seems like $20 billion that were given to cops um, within that to, for local police um, in communities, where it's just like, hey guys, you guys are in these communities. Now part of that, may, people may say, well that was to, I guess you say, I guess attack, so to speak, or dive into black and brown communities and arrest them more often. A lot of people don't talk about the Violence Against Women Act that was part of that crime bill. A lot of people don't talk about the Jacob Wetterton Crime Against the Children for Sexual Offenders Act that was also in that crime bill. And like when you, if you pay attention to laws and policies, it's typically, which I don't understand it, it's one of those things that some days I want to, but other days it makes my head hurt a little more. But it's like a lot of good things are yeah. sometimes, yeah. I guess you say, lumped together yeah, yeah, lumped with things that don't really make sense or don't have an overall yeah. benefit for everyone. Mm -hmm. Also, with the, um, just the case about the, the death penalty, the, the Florida State Prison like that's located in Rayford, my brother has done two stints there. Um, right outside of Gainesville, like 30 or 40 minutes outside of Gainesville. And yes, those people do, or some of those individuals do have time and time again to, to appeal and appeal and appeal. But most times, those people have little to no resources. Um, the public defenders that they are awarded is not always there in their best interest. They're just doing a job or getting some hours as far as before they officially pass their bar exam. Some of them are um, exam, I guess you say bar exam lawyers or certified, and they're just there doing something pro bono at times. And it's just like, it's not always uh, easy. Oh, I had 15 years to appeal and appeal and appeal. When a system, and I can't even say a justice system, justice system, but when a system is broken, doesn't necessarily help them. And that's why you see some of those people who have been there for 10, 15, 20 years, 
get exonerated. So after appeal and appeal and appeal, it's like it's just like why why didn't this been happen a year ago? Or why is this person fighting to get specific evidence in? Like that's just a broken system, and I don't see. I guess you say the pros in euthanasia via a lethal injection. I just don't see the pros in it. Personally, I say save the babies. If you should have the death penalty, I only agree with it if it happens swiftly. But yes. then I'm like, oh no, I don't want the blood on my hands because sometimes those people are found innocent. And it's like, yay, but if it was me, they would have been dead already. And it's like, whoops. So, <laughs> she said, whoops. Like, whoops. Switch. Than not. 
because when we privatize, we own, we have more of a stake in our own autonomy mm -hmm. instead of government dictating how we do things. However, however, this is where I'm not comfortable. The privatization of prisons as it is today has resulted in essentially creating slave labor to unfortunately create and make some of the very things that we're consuming. Mm -hmm. Hey, if you were Victoria's Secret, you're benefiting from prison labor. Check your stuff. That said, that also means that who who's getting something out of this, right? The whole point of the criminal of the justice system, let's forget criminal, was to protect the American people from the government oppression. That's where we started, right? That we are innocent until proven guilty. We are to be protected by the Constitution and state laws until we someone is proven guilty. Unfortunately, a lot of people plead guilty for the issues that we talked about earlier, don't need to rehash that. Then we end up with people, guilty or not, they're doing time, and there are people profiting, profiting from their servitude when it was intended as a means to not only punish, but also not only punish a person, but deter, deter crime and protect everyone else's free, right? But here's the thing, guys. Hey, kids, research Alec, A-L-E-C, who has written a lot of the laws that both Republicans and Democrats have signed into law. Check it out. You shop at Walmart, you shop at Target, check it out because you're contributing to this problem. So putting that aside, I have issues with basically people who profit from locking people up, profit from selling them things at ridiculous prices, profit from the collect phone calls that they have to make home, profit throughout the entire process, and someone is still supposed to have resources to defend themselves. That doesn't make any sense to me. So the privatization of prisons has resulted in applying capital, capital policy that is supposed to be for free enterprise to handling something that is a matter of the Constitution of the United States. So I just want to bring up, you know, we know that things, there is things that, that need to change, right? We're not going to dispute this. However, Trump did sign, you know, the First Step Act. He did acknowledge there are deficiencies in the system. I want to make them right. I want to change the legislation so that people that are coming out of the situation don't go back into that situation again. I think instead of focusing on the prison so much, let's focus on, let's not even get there in the first place. Let's take away the 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 the, the crime. Let's take away your the lack of education. Let's take away the lack of jobs. Let's focus on getting this person not to do the recidivism that's been going on for years, right? We want to build up in our community and we want to get people to stay out of prison. That has been the trickiest spot of them all. And I think we're starting to focus on that now. Mm -hmm. President Trump has also signed in like Pell Grants for felons. I know when I signed up for school on the application, it said, are you a felon? You couldn't even get a grant if you had a, a felony. You couldn't get any of these things. You couldn't even get some of the job opportunities at um, workforce if you were a felon. So there have been certain legislation even on the other side that has held back people to get out of the issue and the muck that they've been in. So I think we need to look at it from that standpoint. And yes, because of prisons being overpopulated, hey, there's another industry, privatization. But we do that with everything in America because we are America. We have the opportunity to do these things. Nothing is perfect. 
But I tell you what, this is the only country where you can be cleaning the toilet one minute and then running the White House in the next or whatever goes on. You know, you have the opportunity here to change your life. And that is what we're granted here. You know what I mean? I mean, there's so many people in my life that has this story and that has come up. But I think we need to focus on let's when our when men and women come home, let's focus on not letting them go back there. And let's put the privatized prisons out of business because it's so low for you to go to prison that we don't need them. You know, we don't need them. We don't. Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> not the prize. Y'all ready? Perfect. Sorry. All right. Moving right along to our next question. Policy aims to conservative tax policy aims to protect business, investment, and personal income by giving taxpayers more deductions and credits. This is condemned by more liberal uh, thinking as providing welfare to the wealthy. The liberal approach aims to raise taxes for the wealthy and tax havens and stop corporate loopholes. This is condemned by conservatives as socialist ideology. In the past 10 years, what tax policies have had the best impact on American society overall? Spicy. Yes. <laughs> so that's a spicy one. That's a spicy one. Spicy. spicy. I will say I took a class on uh, sports in American society, and that's when I learned a lot about how much welfare the wealthy get. And I was like, this is an atrocity. <laughs> they have enough money already. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Just share your thoughts. No, you haven't. That's what you're here for. <laughs> All right, I guess I'll start. Um, I'm in favor of capitalism, okay? We live in a society that favors capitalism. We are, you know, a republic. We hope that everybody has the same opportunities um, to get into that system. There are, you know, checks and balances, and there's a lot of unfair stuff that goes on. We all agree on that. But for overall, the conservative principle is to allow people to keep the maximum amount of money they earn while still providing an infrastructure and safety for those who need a civil, civil uh, excuse me, society to function. This is done by lowering the tax burden on everyone and removing burdensome federal regulations that increase the cost of doing business, thus freeing up more capital to go forward into hiring, which then we have lower unemployment. And I think we can all agree before COVID, we were doing quite well on raising the unemployment among all people, okay? Um, I'm in favor of it. I'll put my two cents in there. And I've seen it work. It works at hand. We're all grateful for the, the society that we do live in and for the, the things that we are afforded. Um, even if you look at a society, I'll bring up Nordic countries again. They basically have a capitalistic, you know, they say, oh, they're socialism, this, that, and the other thing. No, they're not. They're, they, they run on capitalistic principles. Um, that's why the people, you know, live well, they live very well over there. Uh, what takes them down in taxes is the universal health care, which I know is another whole situation. Um, they are taxed at over 50% of their income. 
So we really have to pay attention to what is happening here. We, I mean, here in Florida, we don't even pay state tax. And you know, if you're, you're, you're um, um, if, if they want to follow a Trump policy, I mean, he even said get rid of the federal tax while we're all going through this, this mayhem with COVID. Um, that's up to the employer whether they do that or not. I think it should be up to the employee. But um, that being said, <laughs> I don't want your tax. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, you have that option uh, in some companies. But anyway, that is a capitalistic society. It is a free society. It is a society that allows us to go out and buy just about anything, yep. literally in the world, and um, not at a price that's you know going to put you in the grave. So, anybody else? Yeah, and more importantly. Um, us being a capitalist country, it has allowed a lot of our people, blacks, to experience employment. Okay, so those tax cuts built jobs for us. So it's been 46 years since our poverty rate, our unemployment rate has reached below 6%. But then with Donald Trump being our president, as of 2019, 2019, October, November, we're down to 5.1%. We haven't seen those scores since uh, 1973. Okay, so right now the current rate is 16.8, which is less than the highest rate of 20.7 as of, sorry, as of December 1982. So because of us being a capitalist country, it, it makes more profit for minority people like ourselves, Dominican, Hispanics, even poor whites. So there's some benefits. So I wanna to read to you just a couple of, um, a couple of past policies Trump has implemented for the American people. Under President Trump's leadership, the administration has cut eight and a half regulations for every new rule, far exceeding his promise to cut two regulations every few, every every new one. Here's the second one. President Trump's deregulatory de efforts have already slashed regulatory costs by nearly fifty billion, with saving reaching two hundred and twenty billion once major actions are fully implemented. So in order for that to be fully implemented, we need to have them another four years. That's when we'll see the full, the, the fullness of that number um, come to fruition for American people, especially for black and brown people. But anyhow, the biggest thing I like about the whole capitalist country of America is that it brings, it, it decreases the level of unemployment for our people. That provides more room for them. They can save more, store more, and begin to establish themselves more in the future. So that's my take on that. So um, first, I'll start like I a couple of things. So speaking of um, of economics, I do um, believe that in is intended state that capitalism can be beneficial. However, um, I think that capitalism, if it were used under um, according to the law of Christ, it could be beneficial, but it is not, and that's where I have a problem. Personally, I could say, hey, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have a, a dog in this fight, right? I live comfortably. You know, I joke around. I live hood adjacent, but I, you know, I'm 41. I can, I drive a nice car. I live in a little house in the city, and except for my dogs messing it up, it's a nice house. Um, my husband and I don't worry about finances at all because you know the Lord has blessed us and. He helped me get my act together at one point when I was screwing up, you know? So like, I please know, like, I'm not saying that I want, you know, more taxes necessarily for my immediate benefit. I'm fine paying for the taxes that we pay and I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, where I have concern is that 
the assumption that capitalism alone works is almost like through the lens of like, hey, we all love Jesus and we don't, right? Mm -hmm. So if I didn't love the Lord, might I be as inclined to share my wealth with others? Might I be as inclined to use some of the profits from had I a company? I don't have a company, but if I had one, would I be more inclined to use the profits in order to create more jobs? I don't know that I could say that I would be. I don't know that. Um, and I think that, um, I, well, I do agree that our unemployment, um, for various reasons, mm -hmm. uh, as of pre-COVID, was better than ever. I think some of that is also a result of policies that were put in place yeah. before Trump mm -hmm. was in office. Um, I think that we can look back at Reagan's, like, yeah, Reagan's, like, policy. What policy? Hang on, let me. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. So if you look back to the late 70s and um, early 80s when trickle-down economics was beginning to formulate, right? We're like, oh, this sounds great. Like, it's going to trickle down and it's going to take care of everybody. What we saw in the late 80s, early 90s was actually the investment of that into private policy, is what I would say, that supported the war, war on drugs. Mm -hmm. And that did not necessarily help us. Now, I will agree that what President Trump has done as of in the last, I'm going to say, three years, while I may not agree with many of his policies, has encouraged more people to say, hey, I'm an amazing leader in a business. Hey, what if I go out and do that for myself? Why do I have to work for somebody else? Why don't I create my own business? We talk about like more, we're seeing more women in um, higher offices and large corporations. I'm like, why is that? Why are we seeing more women there? We're not seeing more women starting their own businesses. And I do believe that he has put policies in place, or at least supported policies, um, even at the state level, that enable that. However, we still live in a fallen world. We still live in a situation where companies are not necessarily translating their profits into more jobs to the proportion that they should. And hey, capitalism, they're, doing, they're not doing anything illegal. Google is not doing anything illegal. Bezos, he's not doing anything illegal. It's fine, you know what I mean? But we have to keep in mind that the assumption that capitalism alone is going to create wealth is not true because there are people who do not love Jesus like we do. But what other system will create wealth like that? Like capitalism, what other system will work to create wealth? Well, that's going? the thing. No system, I believe I believe no system is going to work. I'm not in agreement with, like, I'm not going to tell you I'm pro-socialism because I'm not. Okay. So it's like... So we have to admit there's some, the, we have to admit the capitalist system does work because with the capitalist system you're able to pass down generational wealth. I agree with that. I agree with that. Had I had I chosen to have children, I mean I'm like ninety eight percent sure I'm not. But if I were to have children, I would have something to pass on to them. But we can't say, frankly, that it's capitalism alone, because a lot of the wealth in the United States was built for free. It was what? built for free. Built for free. Yes. Think about. All the railroads that were built, many of our roads that were built, free labor. So I well, I guess I do support capitalism. I can't say that it's a perfect solution to everything because even the very wealth that we enjoy today, I could drive down Mavery and not, you know, not have a care, like, you know, three or four lanes. That's wonderful. I can, if I choose to, take a train to Orlando instead of driving. Who built that? Uh, whose back was that built? We're, we're grateful. We're, 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 we're grateful for that. Right, but what I mean is like there is also capitalism is free and I, I, I appreciate it, especially if it is through the eyes of Jesus, through that lens. But we can't assume that everyone else operates that way because that's a very capitalism that justified slavery to create a lot of the wealth that now we have to fight to get back. And believe me, I'm comfortable. I'm, I look comfortable. She comfortable, y'all. She be treating us. <laughs> I, <laughs> and a small group with the snacks. I, I am interested on, and I hope
actual tax policies because it wasn't until graduate school first semester that I learned how what people meant by welfare for the wealthy. And I'll let you guys do the research. Obviously, I agree with the capitalist society. I also benefit from it. But I don't agree that the very that the people at the top should get the most breaks. Or we talked about even now with them getting so much of the bailout money that some of the small people, there wasn't even any left. So it's like, hey, we have to have the savings ready. You have your six-month-day review, right? Like, have your, work, have your emergency fund ready, Benzos, because it can get you too, right? Any more comments before the next questions? We're going through this really well. We're Just almost done. Right. I was going to say, if there's anyone out there who knows of a black business that has been destroyed by any riot, please let me know. Blexit is giving away grants for those black businesses that have been destroyed by riots. Wow. Okay, so that's what we're doing because that's excellent. I'll say this just because, and I, I say this because I don't have a dog in the fight when it comes to capitalism, socialism, communism, none of those. But like capitalism, from, from what I understand, it to be came around the 17th century. So how are people surviving or creating some form of generational wealth? The 16th century is prior to that. Um, oh wow! You say they weren't? No. Come on, Kathy. You have. We were living under monarchies we were living under feudalism we were that the, there was it's only in the 20th century in, in the u.s where we've created this concept of wealth to pass on that did not besides a very small class like the the kings and queens and royalty and all of that kind of stuff everybody else was dirt poor okay it didn't even have a way of possibly making it better to them, for themselves. So we come along with this idea of freeing up the economies and letting people benefit from the work that they do. I think Abraham Lincoln had a, a quote that said, I believe that the man who plants the seed uh, is the one who should eat the bread. Mm -hmm. We all would agree with that, mm -hmm. right? That wasn't the way it was, okay? Up until we started doing a free market capitalistic system under which Free men can do that. Is it always perfect? No, because man is always involved. Man is always involved. Man is always a sinner. But where it will not be fixed is by handing more of this wealth to the government. Because guess what? Who's in the government? More yeah. sinful men. Yeah. So you can't assume that just because you hand off wealth from Bezos to anybody who's in government, that somehow something's going to work better for assume that. So what you have to do is create systems whereby the most number of people can create the most wealth and keep the most wealth for themselves and their families. I believe that's what capitalism has done. Does it have problems? Mm -hmm. Yes, it does have problems. I, I agree with that because of man. But it is, when we have these unemployment rates, those are were better for everybody. So, so the history of mankind has been destitution, poverty, yuck. Up until like the 20th century, in fact, up until America. America, when it was founded and created, created systems whereby man can pull himself up. And so we have a very unique thing here in America. And we take it for granted. We don't even realize. If you go into other countries, I was in Ukraine last year, and you go into Ukraine and you get one kind of milk. Yep. That's it. <laughs> you get one kind of loaf of bread. I can't even make up my mind about what kind of milks and everything I need when I go there because we have a capitalist system. You go into the Ukraine, you go into former Soviet Union, you got the same thing. You go into uh, anywhere, 
You've got the same thing. We've got something unique here. It's not something we want to tear down. It's something we want to keep improving so that everybody benefits from it in equal ways. I fully I, I agree with that. We don't want to tear it down. We want to fix it and, 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 and find ways to work it. And we want to vote for leaders who do believe in God, who do believe in Christ, who will administer these laws in just ways and, 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 and uh, do the right thing. That's why it's critical. We all have dogs in the fight. If we're in existence and we live and breathe in America, we have a dog in the fight as to who to vote for. That, is, that affects everything in our life, so we want to vote in ways that are consistent with our beliefs as, as Christians. Um, and we want to find, you're not going to find, Jesus is not on the ballot. Okay? Right. Yes. It's all there is to it. No, no, no. We don't get to check that out. So we've got to work with what we've got, and we've got to work with policies with what we've got. So you've got if you if you think that the criminal justice system is unfair, then consider what Trump did in, in letting in that First Steps Act, where he let out a lot of those people who had been jailed for 30, 40, 50 years, their their sentences for minor marijuana crimes. Okay, that wasn't good. So when he let them when he let them out, that was a good thing. We can also look at those kinds of policies. Look at policies that create wealth for everybody. I know there's that idea about the trickle-down economics, but it, you know, it works just like in a family. When my husband gets a raise, it trickles down to me, it trickles down <laughs> to my daughter, and guess what? I invite Grace over for dinner more often, okay? I, I invite Hannah over, and I do things for her, and I give stuff away, I give more to charity, so trickle-down does exist. Is it perfect? No. I, I agree with that because of, of Ben, but we've got to create, we have to loosen up the chains in America to allow more people, more freedom, and the more right to keep the money that they make. Yeah, I agree with that. The one thing that I do want to clarify um, is, uh, I agree with almost everything that you said, actually. Um, the only thing is that I, the one part that I don't agree with is the understanding that the ability to create and pass on generational wealth is something that came with the advent of capitalism, because before colonizers came to the Caribbean, there were people there who were creating and sharing generational wealth. Before colonizers arrived in Africa, which there were actually uh, components of capitalism already in place in addition to monarchies, there was generational wealth. It didn't look like it does in our Western standard, but it did exist. All right, well, I would disagree with that, but that's fine, and I think that's a place where we would need to have people look and do their own homework and not take my word for it or your word for it, because each one of us can engage and say things that we've heard, and it's really important that you look, and I would always say do your own homework. All right, going to another very interesting question, and I learned something new writing this question about school vouchers, or what some people are calling school choice, which is happening right now in 18 states. School vouchers, sometimes referred to as school choice, are state or school district funded partial scholarships that allow students to attend private or charter schools in lieu of public school. They are currently offered in 18 states. Proponents of school vouchers state that parents should have the right to choose their children's education and that vouchers create a free marketplace for education overall to improve, while opponents state that vouchers redistribute tax dollars to private and middle-class families, and many low-income families are not able to cover the costs that the vouchers don't. 
that vouchers fail to accommodate or support disabled and special needs students since private schools do not have the same requirements for that populations that public schools do and that vouchers violate the separation of church and state. How, if at all, do school vouchers contribute to educational reform for all Americans? So, you know, the thing about America is that we have choice, right? Like that's what we pride ourselves on is that we have the choice to make decisions, especially for our children. Our children, for those of us that have children, I don't have children yet, God willing, one day. And I was just having this conversation with my husband. I'm like, you know, I really want a, a school that has strong values that I have. And right now where my kid would be zoned to, that's not happening. So I, as a parent, you want to have that choice to say, okay, Sally, I'm bringing you here because this is going to be better education for you. As we know, we have certain districts that are lacking in funds. F schools get no money. A schools get all the money. It should be the other way around, no, right? Like that doesn't work that way. So the vouchers create a way for you to get your child into a school that is that can actually function better for your child and you have a right to do a charter school. It doesn't have to be a private school. It could be in another district if you're willing to travel. It could be, you have a choice. And I think that's the thing. And I think as, and I think this helps all communities, everybody in the community. It's not just a black or brown thing, it's for everyone, for their child to have that ability to go to a school that their, their child can function in, that could, you know, graduate and go on, have the skills that they, they need. Um, you know, back in my day, it was the magnet school. That was the big thing. I went to a magnet school for middle and high. And so when I left, I had an associate's degree and I was an LPN when I left high school. Okay, these were the things. My mom had me bust. If you guys are from South Florida, I lived in Margate. I was bust all the way to Pompano Ely High, and it was a long ride. But that's what my mom. She made a ruckus, and somehow I got there. <laughs> all I know is the kid. I was a part of the bus. You're going here, and this is what you're doing. That was my mom. She barely had a high school education, but she told me what the education I was going to get because I had a strong mother. She may not have had all the, you know, high school, you know, college, but she knew what she wanted for her children and my father as well. So I think that choice is, is super important for your children's growth, for your family's growth. And, and like, you, you know, what was brought up earlier, that trickle-down effect, it comes down in different ways. And I think the school voucher helps and supports your stronger community. What I found interesting about, uh, in my research about the school vouchers, and I agree, it would help. And I would be all for them more if more of the lower income community knew about them and get, could get 100%. So I read that most of them are partial, and I was asking people at work or whatever, I was like, have you heard of this? Because my mom would have taken it, my mom was a school teacher, and she told me, yes, Sabrina, I did know about that. <laughs> I know, I was Why like, did you tell me? I, I went to a charter school and I went to a public high school. I survived, clearly. But I did have a friend that went to Rocky Mount Prep, and she said, how do you think so-and-so went? He had a voucher, and I was like, so this has been with me for years? But, so I would agree with them if more lower-income families could have access to them and they were 100% for them. Because otherwise, it does kind of seem like the wealthier or middle-class families are the ones who are benefiting, benefiting 
problem with their public tax dollars going to Christian schools. As a Christian, I'm like, what to do? I wonder, and I asked the panel, because this is what I asked myself, how would you feel if 80% of those tax dollars were going to a Muslim school? Would it still be yay or nay? These are just things I'm pondered on. I was just gonna quickly say, kind of what you were saying, Sabrina, just about if it was more, if, if everyone was able to take a part of it. Because even, let's say I did get, and I'm in a low income area, and I did get a voucher, how am I gonna get there? What if my parents got three, four? I mean, so the opportunities, while, like you're saying, it, I think it is a great, great opportunity to be able to go with to whatever school, but it does not seem that everyone is as equally able to take advantage of those opportunities. That's the only thing I wanted to add to that. So really quick, I just wanted to bring up. So at, so how this kind of works is that each, when we all sit in you know, the, your district, each child is represented by an allocation amount. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. 10,000, maybe 20, 30,000. So each, I'm not saying it's a but each child is allocated that money regardless of your religion, sex, whatever. You boom, you get this. Now what the, you know, your state's saying is that, hey, you've got 3,500 on your child, take your 3,500 and you can couple it elsewhere or do an equal lateral translation, okay? So here's the thing, you know, again, I haven't had this great responsibility bestowed upon me yet. And, you know, my husband and I have just gotten to that financial place. Um, God, God has blessed us. But you know what? I will do anything for that child to become educated. If that meant to ride a bus, if that meant to go across, if that meant to move my job and my family closer, even if it meant for me to work two jobs, because you know what? My mother and father did it for me. And even though my husband's father and parents didn't do it for him, he's gonna make sure he does it for his child. We have to start thinking about what is right in the situation. And we have to start putting the people that we bring into this world first. I understand circumstances. Lord knows I've been blessed through COVID and I'm sure all of you in this room, but there's some of my friends who have completely been decimated mm -hmm. and they've had to move to make what's right for their family. So we have to keep that in mind that if it is a school choice and you do want your child to go, you will make the appropriate preparations for your child to go to that school so that you know you are putting a good human being and all the goodness out into the world, right? Does anyone know if on either side, if the Trump administration or Biden's campaign, what they're saying about school vouchers? Like, is there some yes. policy? Yes. policy or, the yeah, uh, let's hear that, because I'm interested in that. Because if, hey, if the work is looking good, then I'm for it. Yeah, so one of the things is um, about school choice, the good thing is, as you, I'm, and I'm just answering mostly the question that Sabrina had asked, um, if a person was going to a Muslim school, the good thing about school choice, from what I know, um, via just quick research, is that the funds that a person get, they can choose whatever private school, whether it's religious or non-religious. So I don't think there's restrictions on that. For me, um, I have to do more research to find out that what are the funds allocated via districts. And for me, it's mostly in Florida, because Florida is one of the states of the 18 that does school choice. But it would be like, what would it cost to, I guess, have an equal playing field 
yeah. within that district okay. um, than to provide school choice. And I'm not saying to take away school choice, I'm just saying, are there ways that we can have the same thing that the school down the road has or the private school, this public school has the same thing. Um, like you have some schools right now, I'm just thinking of my nieces and nephews, who they currently have one or two books for a group of four or five kids wow. while they're in class. And it's just like, how are you gonna effectively learn that way? Um, that's a challenge for those students because um, some people need their own hands on it. Now you're spending this time passing it around to look at what the teacher has. So I don't know, that's my take. I just would have to do more research on the funds that's being allocated and what would this look like to just not, again, not restrict or avoid school right. choice, um, <laughs> but to have some form of equal access to solid education right. for all schools yeah. in all districts. Yeah, so I'll just read the latest Trump plan, the platinum plan he announced this week during his rallies. Platinum? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're platinum, y'all. We platinum. Yeah. 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 The platinum plan. All right, so more education opportunities. All right, kind of blurry here. Federal, state, federal, state, and local community partnerships to close failing schools to replace them with full school choice and education opportunity to put American parents back in control of their children's future. Increase child care tax credits and provide greater access to quality preschool. Now this one is the subtitle, here's the subtitle. It's education African Americans can afford. Continues to protect the vital role of historically black colleges and universities, which we already know that he passed a law, an executive law, to fund $250 million to HBCUs. HBCUs. $250. So that's, that's us, y'all. HBCUs. Historically black. Historically black colleges and universities. Trump gave money to them. Yeah, $250 million. Yeah, $250 million. So this is, of course, the platinum plan we're right now. And all of these are, they're on the website. You can type in Google. Trump's platinum plan for 2020 coming up, you know, once he gets reelected. All right, so um, to spirit innovation ecosystems by connecting minority institutions with the federal government's board, broad range of scientific and engineering research and development. I'm going to read that again. To spur innovation ecosystems by connecting minority institutions with the federal government's broad range of scientific and engineering research and development. Increase the amount of Pell Grants, which we love Pell Grants. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we do. Yes. Uh, so increase the amount of Pell Grants and allow for vocational employment and second change home commerce. Advanced targeted um, apprehension and training and job training programs. Advanced targeted apprehension uh, and job training programs. I think it's in the right. Apprenticeship. 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 So that's all coming. Hey, get, get, if, if he gets elected in the 2020 election, it's all coming forth. And, and one thing about Trump, everything he has said in regards to policy, he's carried it out for blacks, for veterans, what policy? Yeah, yeah. Let's not say everything. Not Which one he got in? Which one, what, what policy did he say he wouldn't say he would do and he hasn't done? I think um, the Step Act was underwhelming. The first Step Act? Yeah, I How? think it was under. I think I, I think it was underwhelming compared to its original intent. And frankly, I don't agree with it, but- How? Like 91% of black men have benefited from the, from the first Step Act. They have, you're right, that is correct. But um, the fact that we still have as many people locked up for ridiculous drug offenses that according to the original plan, would have been released by now, or is that Trump? Trump? Is that Trump? No, this Trump? Please, what are we? Twenty twenty? Yeah, by now that didn't happen, and I get it. People have to make concessions because we live in a two-party country, whatever. Um, but I, 
I agree that a lot of, whether I agree with it or not, I will say a lot of the policies that he set out to implement, he has, but I wouldn't say everything. I, I just wanted to, can you, uh, the part, just at the very beginning, the one or two sentences where you read, can I, can you possibly reread that again? Because I, I just wanted to go back to this issue that we we're talking about, and I thought that part kind yeah, of related exactly to right, that. Target first fund federal, state, and local community partnership to close failing schools to replace them with full choice, full school choice and education opportunities to put American parents back in control over their child's future. I think to me, when I hear that, I hear that we're gonna close these schools, the ones that aren't performing well, which are where mostly in uh, impoverished communities and give them school choice. But like as I was saying before, I may have the school choice. And, and I, I think I can't speak to a person who has, who is really impoverished and have had those kind of desperate situations, it's easy to say, I would do, I would do, I would do. And and I think as a parent, I'm not a parent, but as a parent or a person who loves whatever, if you're taking care of children, you want to do your best, but maybe your, your best still can't get you to get that child to whatever school. Your best, maybe I got three jobs. I can't afford, I don't, I'm nervous to put my young child on a bus several different city buses to get to wherever they need to get to. They could be in unsafe situations. Like, I think it's easy to assume you would want to do your best and maybe your best still can't get them to the best choices. So I so I kind of <clears throat> liken to what Evie was saying. Like, I think school choice is great, but I think there's also, why can't we? And, and you also said that as well. Like, you know, let's give to those who, you know, like it would be great to not just give to those who are all the schools that are doing the best, but I think there's options. And I think kind of one of the things that I'm hearing through all of our conversation is like, yes, this, this system in place, or yes, the, these things are in place, but we have to do the work to get them to better places that are able to um, uh, positively affect more than the ones that the system seems to only be benefiting benefiting. I will say that a lot of times when schools, because closing film schools isn't like a new concept, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. No, and, um, a lot of times when a school does have that pressure, they do get their act together. So that is a bonus. My only fear is what I said at the beginning. And then if we take those tax dollars away from those public schools, I can't believe in 2020 people are still sharing textbooks. Evie, that like hurt me yeah, to my yeah, core. I, yeah, and I feel terrible. kind of ignorant that I didn't realize that schools were still at that level. So I think all of us, you know, write to your local leaders and say, yeah, this doesn't yeah. stand. Is this happening in our community? What do we need to do in our community to not, this doesn't need to stand in any of our American public schools. Sure. In America, nobody, four kids should not be sharing a textbook. No way. That's outrageous. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs>
That money definitely should go with that child wherever the parent puts it, you know, puts the child, okay? If for some reason then we have discrepancies, maybe this child wants to go into another choice and needs more money, I think that that can be worked into the thing. But I think giving the parents the choice is always the best option. I am a parent and we did not have good options where my daughter was. I, I drove her to different places. I drove long ways to take her, and then I homeschooled her because uh, you, we talked about the, the Muslim school. Right now, my tax dollars are going into schools, government schools, that are teaching things that I totally disagree with. So that's already happening to me, okay? So I'm not a fan of that. At least if I have a child, I'd like to take that money that I'm paying anyway and put it toward my child to put my child where I want to be. And as a parent, I can't speak to that, those of you who are parents. So I think that way, I'm totally <coughs> for school choice there, not for school choice in abortion. I mean, for choice in abortion, probably <laughs> but, uh, but I think in this, I think we all can agree that choice is good. Let's try to make it so that each child can actually end up going where the parent wants them to go. Is there a reason this is happening in only 18 states, and does yes. that policy is that the goal of that policy to get it happening in all 50? Yes. 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 Yeah, that would be a federal. Yes. That would be a federal. Technically, education should be at the federal. state level. Yeah. We have this Department of Education, which we shouldn't have. But, yeah. but that being said, at least at this, at a federal level, mm -hmm. and in, Hannah, I correct me if I'm wrong, um, in the, under the 2020 Democrat policy, I think they are against school choice. Right. They are. Yes. They are. They are against school choice. So Because they can control where yes. these kids go, and right. they can control those urban cities right. where there is so many problems. Right. So you've got two choices of policies there, for choice in that sense and against choice in that sense. And I think in this one, I think a lot of us can agree that that's, that's an important one for those of us at least who are parents. Yeah. But I think as citizens in general, you want educated, well-educated citizens. Absolutely. Yes. And you don't want people, I worked at colleges, and we get people in who literally could not read, right. write, or do math, yeah. and they were freshmen in college. And my job was to teach them all of that that they were supposed to learn, uh, teach them in their first semester. I was supposed to teach them all of that. What? They're going to failing schools. We don't want our kids in failing schools. That does not help us as a, as a citizen, as citizens of a nation. So, so I, um, I agree with what you said, like, that I think we can all agree that choice is good. Right. Um, what I don't agree with is saying that let's get behind the party and the people that support that because I do not subscribe to political parties. So I just want to make that clear. I want to make, hang on a second, I vote and I don't get behind a political party. I vote based on the issues of the individual exactly. and yes, I do research who's on the ballot federally and locally and frankly, I care more about what happens locally than at the, at the, at the level. So, but I just want to clarify that while I do agree with choice, I don't agree with everything that you said after that because I don't subscribe to a party. Okay, let, and then let's clarify. Let's say, let's not say party. Let's say policies. Because because Jesus isn't on the ballot, you're going to have to pick someone who's not perfect to, you, to fit you, right? Right. And you know, if so. both, right. But my whole point is that I just want to be very clear about that because there are people here who know me or don't know me. <laughs> I don't give a crap about either party. That's when fine. The time comes. None of us in heaven are going to be waving a flag, 
singing an anthem or giving a crap about a political party or any country for that matter. <laughs> the other thing I want to say is like, while I do agree that centralizing the, the funds in a way, um, and again, don't care about that party either, but centralizing the funds is not necessarily some um, uh, tactic to control urban communities because we all know the code for urban is black and brown. I don't necessarily subscribe to that either. I think that at that point, we're talking about political strategy to appeal to people. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, yeah. Okay. And yes. I, I just real quick, just real quick, but I agree with you. Party isn't yeah. going to matter to God. Yeah. I totally agree with you. But who we vote for and who we place in office as citizens of a nation, that is our responsibility. And if we vote ignorantly uh, or we vote, I believe, against what God says, I think there is some accountability. Whether or not we vote Republican, Democrat, that's not the issue. Mm -hmm. We're not waving any flags mm -hmm. in that respect, and I totally agree with you on that. So I just wanted to bring up, too, under the previous administration, federal dollars were not allowed to go to churches. Um, but now we're looking at what the platinum plan for federal dollars to go to churches, church to, to, to church schools. Oh, I was going to say, what you mean by yeah, church schools, right. And so, <laughs> I'm sorry, clarify. So what that does is that this very church can be another way for a mom in an urban area if you guys chose to do a school to come here and get the help that you needed. The, the church for us, the black and brown community, has always been a place of refuge and a place of direction. So I mean, under this new policy, that could come back into play where the church is a, a stronghold for the, the, the school and for your children. So I just want to throw, there's other things rolling into this, but I think the idea here is to get it started, is to get the choice started and then see what it could blossom into. But first, you know, every plan, right? We would have plans in our life, we have to be like, hey, that wasn't such a good one, let's try it this way. I think life is like that. I think we tend to take politicians either side and be like, this is what you say, this is what you need to do, and if you don't do it the way you said it, you're wrong. It's also trial and error. Right. We have to give that wiggle room to have that trial and error because, like you said, they are a man in the government and they're going, it's not gonna be perfect. But we try on our part to do the research and do the best we can to pick the best person for that part. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up religion because we're going there next. Woo! <laughs> right. Great segue. <laughs> the First Amendment states that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Simply stated, this amendment protects every American's, every American's religious freedom. What policies support or challenge every American's right to religious freedoms? And you'll notice I'm specifically emphasizing every Americans because thank God I'm in the majority, you know, I am a Christian, but if anybody else is ever the majority, I want them to respect this this same way. So, what say ye, friends of the panel? <laughs> if you don't have anything to say, that's fine. We're almost there, guys. We got like two more questions. Anybody? You feel like we're good on religious freedoms? We're good? I think we're probably, uh, kind of, I think, I would think we all agree on that. Yeah, I think we're all agreeing on that one, though. Yeah. Okay. It's first. Okay. Well, we're good on that. We're good on that. Uh, next question. Hold Like, it's not a long answer. Just people will do them, and I just may disagree with their beliefs. That's just me. But. Yeah. 
But like I'm not gonna take that away from them or I'm not right. gonna control or it's their person. Yeah, that's them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But where Satan this, this one does come into play, we all agree we want religious freedom. That's a that's a given. But it does come into play specifically in um, something like the Affordable Care Act when that act required that faith-based institutions, particularly Catholics, uh, put money toward abortion, providing money for people that they might employ to get abortions and or birth control. Those were things that as people of faith, they did not believe in, but there was federal law that was requiring them to put money toward that to back that up. That's where something like this comes into play, is do we want the federal law engaging in, uh, making defend, the Fed engaging in making laws that coerce us in certain ways, make us do things that go against our religious consciousness? I would say most of us wouldn't want that, right? I mean, we don't want to be engaged in that. So when you have a law like Affordable Care Act, where now the Little Sisters of the Poor had to try to uh, do lawsuits to try to not pay, these were the nuns, not pay for abortions, we don't want something like that. So it does affect each one of us in, that's why we gotta read the bills. You don't pass a bill before you read it, like Nancy Pelosi said, you read the bills and then you pass them. So it does come into play, even though I think we can all agree we want religious freedom for all people. But are there policies right now that on either side that are trying to rescind that or make that push forward? I do think it's strange, okay, the abortion thing I totally get, but then to also say we don't want to give them any birth control. It's like, come on, you're killing me, so Well, no, but see, uh -huh. if the Catholics don't believe in it, they don't, they don't believe in birth control. They don't right. believe in birth control, then I'm not saying all Catholics. No, 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 yeah. she's like, I'm learning, I'm a student. Okay, yeah. <laughs> money to cover birth control. I would say no, I don't think we want something like that, right? I mean, if there's something that goes against our religious consciences, why would we want to force that on someone who doesn't believe it, you know? So I think we should all think of that in terms of what do we believe in? Do we want the government forcing us to go against what our religious convictions are? I think that's a, that's a tricky one. It is tricky. It's a tricky one, but I think we need to keep that in mind all the time. Is 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 do you, do we have the right to have a religious conviction, and can we actually exercise that in our everyday life? And that's where it came down to. That was just one example that I know of. Just want to add. I'm so I'm happy that all of us kind of you know can agree to this this issue uh, with uh, religious freedom. So I just want to make a statement that in the first year of Trump's office, he took a strong action to restore the foundational link between freedom and faith in the USA. On May 4th, 2017, the president signed an executive order to greatly enhance religious freedom and the freedom of speech. How? Take an action to ensure that religious institutions may freely exercise their First Amendment right to support and advocate candidates and causes in line with their in line with their values, and ensuring that religious Americans and their organizations, such as as she mentioned before, the Little Sisters of the Poor, would not be forced to choose between violating their religious beliefs by complying with Obama's care contraceptive mandate. Okay, um, there's a few more, but. 
When it comes to the 2020 election, Trump is very, very clear on religious freedom. And of course, he spoke at the breakfast, the national prayer breakfast in, um, what was it? Uh, 20, um, February 2nd, 2017, just two weeks since his first, his first, his first term, two weeks, he spoke at the national prayer breakfast on June 18th, June 8th, 2017, he spoke as a Faith and Freedom Coalition wrote to Majority Conference. So plenty of times, every time, I know just by the news now, the media doesn't cover much positive about Trump, but when it comes to national prayer, they cover it a lot. So when it comes to these two, Biden and, Biden and Trump, it's very clear for where Trump stands in regards to religious freedom. Not just for Christians, but for Muslims, for anybody. But we Christians want that freedom more than, more than anything. Well, I think, yeah, anybody who has a pillar of faith in their life will want that freedom. That's something I'm going to have to look more into, Kathy, because I would say I want people to be able to have birth control. You know, I feel like that's a part of their health care. But also, I'm not Catholic. So I, that's something I'm gonna look into. In healthcare, I think that people should have the right to buy birth control. But what right. you're yeah. saying is, do you think the the little sisters of the poor should be made to pay for it? That's the difference. Yeah. They're forced to pay yeah. for it. Not that you don't have the right to buy it. Right. I mean, and up until a few years ago, those of us older know we always paid for birth control. Yeah. That's a very new thing. Only young people don't know that. Is that all through my my years is I paid for birth control. Okay? Yeah, why didn't you? So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
I deliver real price transparency to show, to make sure that you know the cost before care is received, the opportunity to be in charge of your own health care and choose your own doctor. Again, this is Trump 2020 Platinum Plan to eliminate long-standing health care um, disparities, investments into the causes and cures of kidney disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, sickle cell disease, maternal morality, and other diseases that, dis that disproportionately affect African-American population. Increase access to tele telemedicine and innovate technologies to empower patients with flexibility and tools for better health. Public-private partnerships to, de to develop healthcare facilities in low-income areas. That's really huge. That's, That's huge. extremely huge. All right, to um, defend religious freedom, of course, and support, he, I think he's the, the, the president who is so pro-religious uh, religious freedom. So defend religious freedom, exemptions to respect religious believers and always protect life, which is what we were talking about, not having uh, little sisters of the poor to pay for contraception for Because they thought he said, 
uh, we are not going to ever give care to trans people. That's not what's said. You're just going to go to the doctor and whatever you identify is what you identify, you're still going to receive the same health care because you're an American. That's where we are. And that's where we need to focus. All this divisive rhetoric about what I identify as yesterday, today, forever, or what sex I choose today or tomorrow, that's not here or there. You're an American, you're gonna get care. That's where we need to be at and that's where our thoughts need to be. Um, as far as pre-existing conditions, um, Trump just repealed, you know, the law from Obamacare, pre-existing conditions, that was a federal guideline. You can get help for your pre-existing conditions regardless of whatever they are. Trump has doing more for situations of diabetics and sickle cell, the research that affects our community, the EpiPens that have come through from Canada, the diabetic medication that a lot of our community is on, that stuff is being lowered at a lower cost. So we are treating our people to the best of our extent, even the smallest portion, which is the transgender population, because we are treating them as Americans and we're not going by the identity politics. Because if we start doing that, I think we'll be better if we stop focusing on color and this and that, and we focus on Americans. Because that's what we are first, right? I don't care if you come here from whatever country, once you hit the soil, you're American. Just like if I go over to France, I'm gonna be French, right? Because I, I took my citizenship there, that's where I am. So we've gotta make sure we're focused on being American. Can you elaborate on the pre-existing conditions? Because I think for some reason in my mind, I had it backwards when I watched the, what was it, the talk that just happened? Uh, for, oh, the round table, whatever, it was trending on Twitter. Uh, someone asked Trump about the pre-existing conditions. So, with the Affordable Care Act, I thought it was when Obama had, when it was Obamacare, he made it so if he had pre-existing conditions, you could still get help, and then Trump took that away. Am no, I wrong? No, read me. I'll be ready. He's not taking it away. Okay, so it was never taken away? No. He, he, he memorialized it in, in the federal act he just did to where they're not taking away pre-existing. Yeah, like this week. Yeah, like this week. Yeah. We memorialized it. That means we put it in federal legislature. It was only under the Obamacare Act that the act itself, you had to be under the insurance to get pre-existing. Okay. okay, so this is the thing with Obamacare too. When, prime example, I wanted to do a, Obamacare is very um, restrictive. So my husband has insurance at his job, but he's covered under my plan, right? So I wanted to do like a, a, a B, a backup plan. Well, Obamacare says no, you, you're, you already got insurance. You can't do two at once. Um, you can't, uh, we can't choose. Let's say my husband's insurance is better than mine. I can't now go across to my husband's insurance because you already hooked up with your insurance first. There's a lot of restrictions. And I think this was also another policy, and I'm just gonna backtrack to the beginning three hours ago, that also changed my mind about the 2016 election. Because I, at that point, I finally got into a career and I was like, oh, I got my big girl pants on and I'm getting a job with healthcare and it was expensive. It took most of my check. Okay, so these are the things you have to think about, guys, when you're going into that booth about the things that you pay for, about what you're getting, about the restrictions you have. Because right now, I feel like I should be able to do whatever I want with my insurance, and I don't have that choice. Interesting. Well, Flo, let's get Flo in. Thank you, Flo. Two hours later, <laughs> <laughs> and we still have two more questions. 
fiscal standpoint, it's always an emotional one. So I think we need to start looking at it from a policy and a fiscal standpoint. And then, yes, is it sad to see people suffer in other countries? Yes. However, we have to remember that our country needs to be first. And that is who we are. We are Americans. And once our house is in order, can we talk about the homelessness in California? Can we talk about that? Can we talk about the poverty in the middle of America? Can we talk about these things that we don't like to talk about or be uncomfortable about because we want to pretend that America's all perfect, but we have to focus on home first. We have so many issues here just in our country. Let's focus on that and see where that takes us first. I am interested in, does Flint still have that vibe? Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 2016, but people who are watching, you can go oh, check that for yourself. Um, just because I disagree. Um, but I'll say, um, when it comes to um, immigration, for me, I am, I prefer, I would say, I prefer an open border policy. And I know some people would be like, you're crazy to have people walking in and out via trade goods and all of those things. But I say that because I'm a product of immigration. My parents in 1979 got on a boat, left Haiti to come here. Several years after that, my sisters and brothers did the same thing, to come here. So, me being a product of that, if that wasn't the case, which it technically wasn't at that time either, I would not be here. The other thing is, which you did allude to as far as either the, the individual who had cancer or um, more restrictions is being empathetic, I would also disagree. Because we can't say that Let's have more restrictions on borders, but then have no restrictions on things like guns and other issues or health care, like it, different provisions. Like, which one is it? Do you want more re restrictions or do you want less? It's like we're picking and choosing which ones. So if that's the case, that's the same thing with this issue. If, for some people, if you move in circles where you say, my first thing is America first for some, then I guess a closed policy or having a legit immigration system, whatever that would look like, is the best route for you. But if you say, well, the left or the right does not matter to me, it's the, it's the kingdom perspective that I'm focused on, mm. then who would be considered my neighbors? Because mm. my neighbors would be the homeless person in California, the person who has dirty water in Flint, the person who's across the border in Mexico, the person who's on the island of Cuba, the person who's across seas in Venezuela, or anywhere, all of these people would be considered my neighbor, at least for me. That's the way I interpret the story of the Good Samaritan. The other thing is, when we talk about homelessness, when we talk about veterans, when we talk about bad infrastructure in places around this country, I think a good place might be to start, and this is not the question and or topic, but if we're saying America first, we sure have a lot of our resources, i.e. military bases all over the world, where resources are allocated for daily, 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 which could probably help a lot of the issues or the challenges that we see in our own country. Because if it's America first, then maybe we should find ways to 
pool our resources that are in all these places. And I'm not talking about like one specific Afghanistan or bringing troops back, but I'm talking about military bases that are all across the world. That is, if that's America first, why is that? Um, I just don't see that the same way that I guess other people see it. So again, as far as policy, I would prefer an open border policy and that would be my preferential treatment. Okay, I do want to say really quickly uh, that I brought this up in jest to what she said, but then a question was asked and we weren't prepared for it. So I looked on factcheck.org, um, which I think is a reliable source, but please do your own most research. Time. And it most says, most times, so do your own <laughs> research, but it says that uh, Obama signed an emergency declaration for Michigan in January 2016. This was under the Stanford Act, a disaster relief law that allowed for federal aid for up to $5 million, and that was given to them. So I just want to throw that in there. All right. Do you sleep doors uh, a lot? It depends. You can go ask my wife. She's outside with Sunday. You can ask her Sunday, Mom. No, she good. Um, <laughs> some days I don't lock my car, my car, and she looks at me like I'm crazy. Just two or three, two or three days ago, she she went to work. And she was leaving for work, and there was a law enforcement officer outside. And she said, "Hey, did you lock your car last night?" I was like, "I don't know what happened." She was like, "Cause a whole bunch of cars here got broke into." Now I went outside. My laptop was still there. Money in front of the glove compartment was still there. A firearm was still there. I was like, "Well, I guess I didn't get caught." But some days I do. Some days I don't. Natural. Do you have children? No, I do not. That's a big difference too. <laughs> That's not a big difference because where I, where my family grew up is like a more of family community. Yeah, it's a family community. Yeah. Like literally, like I'm you like, two, three o'clock in the morning. I'm outside at Inwood. Like that's yeah. not it's not like I'm hiding or hey, lock the door. It's like if you lock the door, you lock it. If you don't, you don't. So I get the for some people that's an easy thing. Well, why are you scared of this? Why are you scared of that? I some things I am a little more nervous to. Other times I'm like, it's whatever happens, happens. If I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die because of what we talked about earlier, free will. So if somebody's gonna kill me, that's going to happen. I have confidence of where I'm going, so I don't stress that too much. Right, right. So I was asking the question in regards to like your possessions in your car, your your possessions in your house. So when it comes in regards to our open our, our having the borders, is to protect what's inside. Again, Trump is not against immigrants. It's only against illegal immigration. Yeah, and I would That's say, it. yeah, I, I get that, and I'm confident that, and a lot of people on both sides, for some of them, they, they agree with that as well. For me, again, I just don't understand that portion, that first word, the illegal. Like, what, like, because how was this country founded? What we say this country was founded on immigration? Yes, yeah, so they don't. I understand, like, on, on people migrating yeah. through here. But they so, came through appropriately. Yeah, huh? <laughs> They can't uh, he's talking about like, okay. Yeah. So, so like so it was built upon what we would consider possibly illegal immigration. If we were to look at this through the same lens. Then other people say, well, we wasn't necessarily a country yet, so now we have laws and now it's we different. approve, right? We approve, right? Yeah, we approve as a country. They still had to come through Ellis Island. They had to get their paperwork done. They had to see where they were coming from. He's talking about slavery. Talking about Christopher Columbus. Yeah, like this. Yeah, Christopher Columbus, Indians. Yeah. Yeah. So, but my point is this: like, even if you were, so you're you're advocating for open borders and for illegal immigration. I would say immigration. I wouldn't call them illegal. Why not? They're here. Listen, I think it, I, I don't know what country it is, but it's a country. If you come there illegal, you get nine years, nine years in prison. If you come to America, well, I'm not gonna focus on that one. I'm focused. I know where I'm at. they're breaking the law because they come here illegally. When someone comes to this country illegally, you know what happens to like my, my nephews and my nieces? They're being stripped away of school choice vouchers. Why? Yeah, they're being stripped away because someone who's here illegally 
when illegal immigrants come here, they just get so well cared. That's why I don't, I don't, I don't hear anyone saying, "Oh, that America is racist." That no, it's like, I would like, disagree. Like, illegal, like, so, like, so say, say, say. Let me finish, and then I will definitely respond. When illegal immigrants come to America, they are taken well care of from preschool, elementary. Some in my community, in different elementary, is community school. It's filled. With, with, it's filled with immigrants, some illegal, some illegal working at school, right? So when they're there, they have so many benefits, not just them as children, but their families are covered completely. Medicare, transportation, their uniforms, dental work, they're completely covered or taxpayer dollars. I don't mind taking care of my neighbor, but I would rather I would rather be much more comfortable knowing that I'm paying for someone who's here illegally. They went through the legal process. They went through the citizen process. I know I know um, Nigerians in America in Tulsa, in Tulsa, um, Oklahoma, and some in uh, Winter 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 Park in Florida. They came here legally in Maryland. They came here legally. It's like they're they're here working hard trying to improve their lives. And I also have neighbors. My neighbors where I live are there illegally. I literally see them. They have three cars. I don't know how they got these cars. They have three cars. The father has a car. The daughter has a car. The mom has a car. Four cars. The son has a car. None of them I see working, but the father. I don't know how the money is accumulated, but they're paying no taxes. They're here working under the table, accumulating, saving. Where are they from? So you'll say you'll say for sure. Puerto Rico. Wait, you said they're from Puerto Rico. I think so. Wait, no, 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 So being that immigration, immigrants coming here illegally, there's so many 
now today. There's so many immigrant lawyers who are willing to help them, help them out so pro bono or at a very low cost because of this influx of illegal immigrants. And they're, they're, they're up to them. There's many lawyers that have a list of them. There's, there's lawyers and different offices that are willing to help illegal immigrants here. But it's like, wow, just imagine the time and money that could be saved if they just came here legally. It's like, we'll, we'll take care of you, but it's like, just come into the country legally. That's all I'm saying. And I will say, I think a lot of people do come into the country legally. And the immigration process is not an easy one. And trying to get your papers in order and get all the lawyers in order and all that stuff. It's not a, okay, I got a lawyer, I'm gonna get them this today and it's fixed today. It takes months, sometimes years for people to do that. And so, and in that status, as you're, like let's say you know in a year or two your stuff is coming up and you're trying to work on that, it may not be done in that time and then you become illegal. You may not have started illegally, but you became illegal and you're still trying to work that process. I just feel like it's not just a, and it's not just like everyone came here illegally and now they're just living it up. And, and because people have immigration status issues doesn't even mean that they're still illegal. They still can be legal and still having where we don't want to entertain Further things because at this point you're, you you will run, you may run out of time and you may become illegal and so we're not going to help you we're not going to put all our eggs in that basket until you for sure are going to have your whether you got that visa to extend or whether you finally got your uh, certificate you know um, citizenship you know it's not just like a one A or B situation it's a lot of you know issues along in that process and a lot of people are struggling and have been struggling and been trying to become legal and it's not that easy of a process to well why don't you just be legal people have been and constantly do that spend lots of money on lawyers and still don't it doesn't work out and try to go about it the correct way but that's something to break them off of america well i mean like, i feel like someone come over here illegally you're almost like, it's almost like you don't respect the country's laws. Okay, but I'm saying, I'm not, I'm saying, right, so Some people don't respect the speed of laws. So like, that happens, like, so okay, it's like- Even Americans don't respect the laws. But what I'm saying, if like, I'm here and I'm- in jail every day who are citizens. No, 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 yeah. It's people every day who are in jail who don't, um, I guess you say abide by the law, who are law-abiding yeah. citizens. I'll just say this, and I'll close with this part when it comes to the immigration situation. There are people, who some would consider illegal, but our government has given them work visas or work permits. So they are actually, they could be illegal by a certain individual's classification, but they are paying taxes. Mm -hmm. So it's not just your tax dollars that are going to them. They're working legit jobs where their money is getting right back into the company. And many of them, and many of them can't get certain benefits. Like I have, as um, Sabrina had mentioned young people who we work with or young adults or young professionals I'm sorry if I wanted to call us out um, young professionals who we work with who they can't get a Pell Grant they can't apply for FAFSA they're paying out of pocket for everything but they're working and paying taxes but they don't receive any of the benefits that they're actually paying into right. which is mind boggling to me as an individual because it's like you're paying the same taxes I'm paying but because you're considered um, an immigrant without a status and I'm considered a citizen I get these, I guess these benefits that we're both paying for. Which, is that fair? Would you, from an assessment, would you say that's fair? That we're paying for the same thing. Listen, we're paying for the same thing, but we're receiving different benefits. Would you say that's fair? Just that part. Not the immigration situation. Would you say that's fair? 
And we have to include immigration. We have, we have some food immigration. So okay. it's fair. It's fair. It's very fair. Okay, I would disagree. That's fine. And, I, and I'll just say one thing. I think that we could maybe agree that there could be a discussion about how could we ease some things about getting people through the process. Right. I think that that we might be approved. helpful yeah. uh, to get them approved. Um, yes, we were built on immigration. Uh, almost all of that was legal immigration but um mm -hmm. but maybe there most are, of that most of that was legal immigration not all, of it, not all of it i understand that okay. but i think that if the discussion now should be if we want more immigrants in and that discussion has happened throughout the whole history of the united states let's have that discussion and what that takes to get more immigrants in legally and to uh I think there, it is valid, it is very valid to say, okay, if we want them in legally, how do we help them do that? Are we prepared? Do we have enough hospitals? Do we have enough this, that, and the other to account for all of it? So I think that there's some valid validity in that. Um, I will, uh, I was just gonna point to your open border thing, um, just from a, I always take everything back biblically, but because this audience is Christian audience, uh, I'll just, this is just food for thought, that at the Tower of Babel, remember and when you read your Bible stories, mankind was made, created as one race, and then they built that Tower of Babel, trying to reach up and be God, and what did God do? He's like, nope, that's not happening. He gave them different languages, different races, and he spread them out. He did that on purpose. He did that and created the races, and it says he created the nations. So nationalism is of God. And when we look to the future, when we look by the attempt of the Antichrist, the Antichrist will create what they call a one world government. So if we're gonna look at biblical, God created nations. Um, and I, the anti-God would be no borders, no nations. Now, does that seem um, kind and just, just to us? I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I'm just saying that's just what the Bible says. It never matters what we feel about anything. What we think about and feel about doesn't matter. So when we say these things like, this is my opinion about it, I think as believers, we need to say, where can we go and get direction in God's word so it's not just my opinion about it? You know, where can we go as much as possible? I know emotions get caught up in it. I was just gonna share that just, because I think it's interesting to consider that. It is interesting to consider that, and I immediately think of this scripture that's like, be kind to the strangers in your life. Of course. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That, what you said is definitely true. The Antichrist is going to come and be like, let's all come together and I'm going to be like, not me. But I don't think this is the same. I don't think AB saying open borders is the same. And I think what you begin, what you said in the beginning is where my heart is. And please write letters to your leaders. You have the power to do that. For me, I'm going to be on what Kathy said about let's make this process easier for people because that is what breaks my heart when um, Trump first came into power, a lot of my students were terrified about what was going to happen to them. Mm -hmm. And that was heartbreaking. And I'm talking about what Evie's saying, hard working people who are paying their taxes, great, not getting into trouble. And it's like, now, you know, and these are people who've been trying to get their citizenship. And it's been hard, like for years I've been trying and it's just hard because maybe where they come from, whatever. And then you have 
the president calling where they're coming from and S-word whole country and that. So when, earlier when I said, oh, T, I want to address what you said when you're like, oh, people are trying to make him out to be something that is not for me. It's not what people have said. It's what he has said directly that I'm like, ah, oh, I want to be with your policy. But when you're saying stuff like this, I do feel like, hmm, maybe you're a little bit trash, you know, because you said this thing and it's hurting people who are hard working. When someone is protesting and someone who is about white nationalism comes and they take a life and he says, there's good people on both sides. It's like, all I want you to do, yeah, give me my girl and respond to me. It's like, all I want you to do, President Trump, is call out, I'm not saying he is, call out the racist people. You know what I'm saying? Call, yeah, call them out. Just say, call it ace say, listen, I have felt as an African-American, more divisiveness under his leadership. Now his policies, listen, that's some good stuff. And I told Kathy when I left her house, am I gonna leave here and vote for this man? But I have never felt so much like fear, even for my future children, because I feel like he's given people who do feel that way this courage to come out. I've seen it more like, I didn't see those people with the khaki shorts and the Nazi signs marching under the previous, I felt like they were more afraid, but I feel like now they're more more bold and maybe that's just my lived experience i've seen more on the thing and i'll admit to you not really a social media person my students will tell you but i saw more of it on my timeline during this time and this is tying into the last question well the second to last question because we have to ask the question about israel which is the last question but i so this is the question of how has trump's response to white the white nationalist movement help or hurt the country and I, I'm, I feel like it's definitely yeah, hurt. This is, this is, yeah. Yeah. I'm so much read it. I was going to say, someone have, someone. I'll just, I'll just read it. Yeah, I'll, I'll read the, I'll read the whole incident happened in Charleston. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is what, it, this is the transcript. And when I go to them, you can have it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the transcript. All right. So the reporter, um, the reporter, the other time the reporter, he says, okay, you said, this is the reporter, you said there was hatred and violence on both sides, Trump. I do not, I do think there is blame. Yes, I think there is blame on both sides. Look at, you look at, you look at both sides. I think there is blame on both sides and I have no doubt about it. You don't have any doubt about it either. And, 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 if you reported it accurately, you would say so, reported. The neo-Nazis started this thing. They showed up in, Char in um, Charlottesville. Okay. Trump, excuse me. They didn't put themselves down as neo-Nazis, and you had some very bad people in that group, but you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, that means they were interrupting him because they couldn't take that truth. I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there, that were there to protest, to protest the taking down of, of to them a very, very important statue and the renaming of that park from Robert E. Lee to another name, reporter. George Washington and Robert Lee are not the same, Trump. Oh no, George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? So will George Washington now lose his statue? Are you, are we going to take down, excuse me, are we going to take down, are we going to take down statue to the statue, take down statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? 
We, he was a major slave owner. We're going to take down the statue. You know what? It's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture. And you have people. I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. But you have many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. Now, and the other group also, you had some fine people, but you also had troublemakers. And you see them come with the black outfits and with the helmets and with the baseball hats, baseball bats. You had a lot of bad people in the other group too, the reporter. I just didn't, I just didn't understand what you were saying. So basically, I was like, oh, okay, I'll see. The, the people got to see the truth, okay? The reporter says, I just didn't understand what you were saying. You were saying the press was treated has treated white nationalists unfairly. No, no, there were people in that rally. And I looked that night before. If you look, there were people protesting very quietly. But taking down the statue of Robert Lee, taking down the statue of Robert, uh, Robert E. Lee, I'm sure in that group, there were some bad, some bad ones. The following day, it looked like they had some rough, bad people, neo-Nazis, white nationalists, whatever you want to call them. But you had a lot of people in that group that were, that were there to innocently protest and very legally protest because you know, I don't know if you know, <laughs> but they had a permit and the other group didn't have a permit. So I only tell you this, there are two sides to a story. I thought wait, look, I thought what took place was a terrible moment in our country, a horrible moment, but there are two sides to the country. Thanks for providing the clarity on the comment of him saying find people on both sides. So in that situation, I'll say thank you for that. I still feel like Trump is one of the most diversive leaders that we've had. But I, I want to say this. I think, I think that the reason that Trump is the diversest by diverse leader we ever had, because right now, the vices we've ever had, because right now, 2020 and the future beyond is really, really critical to our faith, to our nation, to our children. It's very, very critical. So it's like, Things are really amping up. Everyone's getting intense. Everyone's on edge. People are speaking that never have spoken before. Like you mentioned, you're now a little more engaged on uh, social media. Oh, no, I, I'm not, in fact, engaged. I was saying, but but I, see, I see more on social media, whereas before, I would never see some of the stuff I see now. So I'm right. just saying, I see other people who are now saying it's whatever, whatever. It's like, it's like um, the silent majority are coming out. People are coming out because now, like, things are in jeopardy. Things that care most, they're mm -hmm. care most, they care most, they care most about are in jeopardy. Their faith, their values, their children, their finances, their business, things are in jeopardy. So now that jeopardy, that pressure makes them speak out. Me, personally, I, I it took me a while to put on Facebook that I supported Trump and I yeah. felt. Mm -hmm. And then once I did, I received so much backlash mm -hmm. from the black community. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So much backlash from the black community. Yes. Yeah, my kind of and they said that it, it was a lot of it was from them. Yes. But nevertheless, it's called this, 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 the process of the presidency right now. And I said before, Trump is testing a lot of Christians' faith right now. Trump so, is? Yeah. The oh, no, I would not agree with that. But he's testing our faith right now because you, you're beginning to see who's who and what's what. Well, we saw that before. You're talking about being able to tell the sheep from the goats. And I feel like we, as Christians, with the Holy Spirit and the uh, gift of discernment, way before Trump. But it's more prevalent now, even within the churches. You're, you're now seeing pastors represent. Uh, if anything, I'm seeing socialists. people at, make a complete 
just be really irresponsible. Um, and maybe that's what you mean by that, but not, I'm not seeing it in a good way. I feel like I knew who was mature in their faith and who wasn't before Trump, but some pastors I see be really irresponsible. And that's why I wanted to have this forum because I knew the Christians in this room could disagree and talk and be responsible right. and mature. And this is what I need you guys to do as Christians. Don't get on, please, don't get on Facebook just calling someone stupid or an idiot and not know a thing about policy, a thing about legislation, not be able to back up what you're saying with the Bible. Because we're Christians and we ascribe to that. And hopefully you were able to do that before Trump and you'll be able to do that long after him. So that's my response I to that. I think thing, like, what Grace just did was interesting. She put context to things that were said about yes. Trump. That happens a lot, is that things are taken out of context. There's the MS-13 MS context yep. about animals. animals, where he was referring to the drug, that, I mean, that, 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 um, that gang members that chop people up. They're the animals. Even that's kind of kind. Okay, but if you take it out of context, just like if you take the Charlottesville thing out of context, you're only getting fed part of that story. So it's creating a narrative about Trump that we're trying to say is not true. And then we know the way Facebook algorithms work. So as soon as you pay attention to one thing, then all that's all that's going to pop up. That's why you're seeing things like that, is that this stuff is going to pop up because you expressed an interest in it. I pay attention to different things, so different things pop up. So we're, we're getting very, both of us are getting skewed views. Well, I'm seeing my friends, well, my students' views. I'm not seeing like random news. Honestly, I get most of my news from you and Evie. Yeah. <laughs> I told the podcast that the other day. But what I'm seeing, people that I've known, so I apologize if I wasn't clear on that. What I'm seeing is that people that I've known for years, like Grace was saying, maybe they're feeling the pressure for whatever reason get into these arguments. I've seen people say, Sunday school a former Sunday school teacher of mine say, if you don't do this, you can delete me. We're not friends anymore. I'm not and I'm like, you're, I love you, I respect you. What is happening in the world? So it's not so much that, that I'm clicking on things that I'm interested in because I'm not on Facebook enough for that. But it's that kind of like, I'm yeah. like, and maybe it's because like Grace said, people are feeling their pressure, but hopefully you are strong in your faith before this and you're gonna be strong after. And I don't think Trump for me is not a deciding factor about my faith. You know, I was telling them I saw a billboard that said only God and Donald Trump can save America. And for me, in my spirit, that was troubling because I'm thinking only God, period. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now God can use any of us. He's using grace, he's using all of us in our there, he definitely uses Kathy, right? But it doesn't any time in history that we put someone on that pedestal, it never goes well from there. I'm not saying he's not doing things that don't help us because he's helping Christians, absolutely. Well, also, man, put the billboard out. Yeah, oh, and man, put that billboard out, bro. Like, like, you know, Jesus didn't do that. All right, so I'm, I'm not moderating, and we do have one more question, but I want you guys to respond to this, and then, yeah. I just wanted to say, though, that there are things like, just like when Obama was president, people used what he was saying, and they... Everyone uses whatever fits their narrative, but there are things that Trump has said out of his own mouth that have, like Sabrina said, caused divisiveness, has been insulting, has been difficult and painful and horrible. There are things that he has said 
out of his mouth in that con in the context in which he meant it. So there are so I can't say so I'm not going to act as though for me, okay, I'll just say for me, it isn't it is I I appreciate people who can say this is what I, I I'm going with this, I agree with this, whether it's a party, let's say well for this context, let's say I'm I'm I, I agree with this party, but I'm but I'm mature and thinking um smart enough to say I agree with this party but not everything or I see I'm I'm behind this leader for this A B C D F G but what they did on this situation was incorrect. Like, right, I'm, not, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying that you guys are not mature. I, please don't take no, that's no, not no, okay, that's not me. That was not my intention. Yeah, okay, good. I just didn't want to come across. I mean, I was I just wanted to say that there are things that he has done and has said that have been troublesome yeah. to say the least. No, you I, I would say, well, I'll say this shortly. Um, two things about the, I guess, the white nationalists and this one of the transcript that was read was from the Charlottesville. Be reminded that it was one and in, one on one interview of one of his remarks, and another one was a press conference. So the press conference was probably one of the ones that a lot of people was frustrated. He had two or two to three different remarks after the Charlottesville case, and not just that transcript. Um, my phone went dead, so I can't pull it up. So I'm just encouraging the viewers to go watch all of his words after that and not just what was just read. But he did condemn our nationalists. He did condemn them. Yeah, he did. Multiple times. He did condemn them. Yeah. No, I'm just telling them to watch more than one yeah. thing. It's, go watch it. Go watch it. I mean, I wholeheartedly go, go watch it. Go research for yourself. I think where we got lost in 2017, but I think where a lot of people got lost was that um, for the black community, a lot of it was a minority community. I won't say black. Minority communities that we usually hear a little bit more pandering, right? Like, hey, black people around, come vote for me. And we hear this direct conversation. Trump didn't do that. He said, hey, Americans, what's going on? We need to have a real talk. And when he came out and says, what do you have to lose? I thought he just lost the entire black vote. I'm like, honey, what do you do? But I sat for 30 seconds and he ultimately became the only Republican that had the highest black vote ever. Okay, so this tells you that people are listening. And with Charlottesville, there were white people out there protesting who weren't white nationalists. Like, I'm sorry, Robert E. Lee is a part of our history. Whether you like it or not, it's a part of American history. He was a Confederate general that did good things. He may not have been on the side of whatever, but the thing is, he's a part of our history. Let's not forget our history. Slavery is a part of American history. It's just not black history. I think we need to go to these things. Statues and monuments that they were protesting to take down. It's like, no, why? why? Why are we doing this? Because, oh, it's a confederacy. Okay, who cares? It needs to be a part of our history because my children need to know the whole picture. They're so taking down abolishments. And, 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 and the thing is, is that we got wrapped up with the white nationalists. Okay, they're there. But let me tell you something. The 2% of the KKK white nationalists is the least of the minority concerns. We have bigger fish to fry. And that was the thing. And, and Trump, like I said, he doesn't sit there and pander. And that's where a lot of people get upset. We don't need a panda, we're Americans, and that's it. And, and you know, I've had to come to terms with that. Like, even on my little Instagram, I'm like, oh, my Jamaican flag is there. Put that American flag up there, girl. Like, I need to start representing the, the place that I live because I live here and I care about it. And I think we're getting lost. I would just say, <laughs> right. and I was gonna say, I don't think taking down a statue 
eliminate your history. Right. The history is the history, period. And I, but I don't think everything that is historical needs a monument to it either. And I don't feel, but I don't think taking down a statue, whatever the statue is, means that we've now erased it and it no longer exists and we don't need to know about it. I think we do need to know about our history, good, bad, ugly, right. and indifferent. And there's books for that. There's lots of ways to to learn. Girl, books. Remember that? Books. Well, I, think, I think there's a lot of way to remember history, to retell history, and for the stories to be told on and on and on. And I don't think, like, I think that taking down a statue, statue doesn't eliminate that or make it go away like it never happened before. saying, 
I mean, that, that's kind of textbook is in a school, it should not be there. Right. And nor should be the 1619 Project, which teaches young minds at a very young age yeah. that America is evil. That's a sentence in that book. Now, America is not evil, because if America was evil, yeah. Hundreds of I thousands of people would not be We can look at African content right now. And that brings us back to immigration. Everybody wanted to come here. And I think that's do. definitely where you come from. Because some people have been treating, treated evilly, you know, in an evil manner by people from America. And so in their perception, I have they have done this injustice to me. I feel that they are evil. Some people, you know, who have been, you know, their people have come in from the other countries and from our country and you know done what it, they felt that they needed to do for whatever reason and for that person being seeing their person killed or whatever they could look at that and be like wow look at these people they must, must be evil so as evie encourage you and all of us encourage you do the research because i hadn't even heard of the 1619 or yeah. what and i know i had some yeah i, would, I don't <laughs> it's, a, it's a vocabulary builder for those taking your GRE. Yes. I'll throw um, that out there. <laughs> uh, those are things that I'm going to look more into. Now, our final questions, which I'm very excited about, because as a Christian, I, you know, I've read through the Bible two times. I've done all the programs that my church has had me to do. I've done the Sunday school teacher. I even preached once. God.
Nations that rise up against Israel are cursed and are no more for the most part. Um, all of Revelation speaks about all of the nations that Jesus is going to come back and fight against. Okay, and it's a bloody war. And the reason he's fighting against them is because they have come against Israel. We want to be in a nation that blesses Israel. That's the most important thing. In fact, I would say that everything that we've talked about up to now is a distraction. That the most important thing is what is God doing right now in the earth? And particularly, what's he doing in relationship to Israel? The church has done us a disservice by not focusing on God's primacy about Israel, the people, and the land. Everything that matters to God flows around Israel. And a real, true reading of that word would lead you to believe it. Now, sometimes the church doesn't do that. We kind of said, oh, it's all about the church. Well, it's not about the church. It's only about Israel. So if we want to see what matters to God, we need to look at Israel. We can open up our pages of our newspapers every day. We can see something's going on with Israel. That's what really, really matters. God says in the end, he's going to divide the sheep and the goats. It's a reference to a division of nations sheep and goat nations it's really not sheep and goat people it's sheep and goat nations which nations are going to stand with israel which nations are not going to stand against israel uh his word says that i i will judge the nations that divide my land and scatter up scatter my people so we want to make sure that as believers we elect leaders who are blessing israel who are a blessing to israel because that's how our nation is going to be blessed. There has been no better leader, uh, no better friend of Israel uh, since probably President Truman, which was when uh, 1948, when Israel was announced as a nation, President Truman stood up and said, we recognize you as a nation, Israel, all right? And since that time, uh, we've had presidents, we've always been a, uh, a country that says we support Israel, up until recently. Now, we do have many people um, in Congress who openly do not support Israel, who openly defy Israel, and we don't need to go into that. What we need to look for is leadership that supports Israel. That's what matters in God's economy. You may think that we matter, and we do to some extent, but what's really mattering to God is what's happening with Israel. So I think we need to look for leadership that is blessing Israel. I think that was a changing point for you, Sabrina, when you contacted me, when you said, when Trump said, I'm gonna move the embassy to Jerusalem, you said, tell me what that means. What does that mean to me? As a believer, what does that mean? And I think that's important. Um, we had, as a nation, said that we're going to move our, that we recognize Jerusalem as a capital, and every president's been too afraid to actually move it. Trump moved the embassy. That was a biblically important matter. That was an end times biblically important matter that most of the world has ignored, absolutely has ignored. We've been too busy bickering over all this other little stuff, and that has happened. Even what he's trying to do now with the Abrahamic Accords, which you said in the question, bringing peace and blessing Israel is huge. If I were making a decision on a vote on one thing, I would make it based on Israel. That's me personally, and I just said, don't do it based on personal. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's okay. Don't do 
says about Israel. Look who's standing with Israel. In the end, there are two groups, those who stand with Israel and those who don't, particularly as nations. And God says, I'm judging all the nations who stand against Israel. So, um, and all, like I said, all of Revelation and many of the prophets talk about how God's going to destroy all of the nations that come against Israel. We do not want to be a nation that goes against Israel. We want to be a nation whose leaders bless Israel because we will be judged as a nation by those that what our leaders do. I know there's a lot of other things that play into your decision, but we've got to start focusing on what is really happening in God's plan. We all know Jesus is coming back sooner rather than later, right? Every day, getting closer and closer, right? Every single day. And we know that uh, prophecy is being fulfilled in our day as we look to all the Jewish people returning to Israel. That is prophecy being fulfilled in our day. It's the last thing that has to happen before Jesus returns. And it is happening in our news. It is happening every single day. Hannah works with a group that does that, works with them every day, Bridges for Peeps, and helps bring the Jewish people home. That is prophecy that occurs and must occur. The last thing that really must occur before Jesus returns. So we're getting close. So I don't mean to just preach it, but what's happening to Israel matters and how our leadership responds to Israel really matters. Amen. I think Kathy said it best. Yes. All right. So thank you everyone for being with us today. I know that was a lot longer than an hour, so I owe you